Pam Greer is an airline attendant who gets caught up in an interesting game of money smuggling. It's Jackie Brown this week on Movies for Guys Who Like Movies. For centuries, Americans have gathered together to celebrate the holidays, reaffirm family ties, and wish goodwill to all men. But this Christmas... Got a brand new bag. Now you gotta listen to this, man, because this concerns you, all right? Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Is she dead? I, I, I... Yes or no, is she dead? Pretty much. Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. AK-47, when you absolutely, positively got to kill every mother in the room, except no substitutes. Nothing gets between me and my AK. for guys who like movies. Coming up next, only on TBS. for guys who like movies from the New Blood Rising podcast and this week we're talking about Jackie Brown because with Hateful Eight coming out it's uh, once again Tarantino's at the forefront of cinema just always good it's always it's an event. fresh it is an event mm-hmm. if you don't know how many movies this guy has done you're an idiot because in every commercial they let you know how many movies Quentin Tarantino has done it is the 8th film by Quentin Tarantino I, I like how they Kill Bill is considered his 4th film mm-hmm. all of it Yep. Like Kill Bill Volume 2 is not the fifth film by Quentin. By the way, I heard count? this That's year. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, I heard, and I heard this year that um, I think it's either at some point, it's, it's, it's always a rumor, but once again, Whole Bloody Affairs on the table to get released. The, the, the ultra, the, the three hour, four hour, like the, the true cut of the movie that has actually, has added stuff back in it yeah. too which is really great I did not hear this but I'm very excited mm-hmm. we've been hearing it though for year 2008 was yeah. when I think it, it, it first we've been here for a long time do you think they'd do a re-release 
in the theater for it? I'd go mm. see it. They talked about that. Oh, yeah, they would. Because and I do that first and then release the Blu-ray. Yeah, like, I like guess. That. So. I wonder if you. I guess so. Kill Bill Two was the first Tarantino movie I saw in the theater. Oh yeah, yeah, the very Ooh, first one. Right, right on. And then I went and saw all of them after that. This week we're talking about Jackie Brown because, of course, when we had texted collectively about this, you know, we should do a Tarantino movie. Jason suggested first that we do Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs, right. And then you also suggested that we do one of the ones he wrote. Oh, yeah, you're talking about True Romance. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Like, like, sorry, was with a... Like, because... Ter- and, and I was actually going to be really snark. I was going to be real snark. Well, why don't we do Crimson Tide since he rewrote a scene of that? Dude. Yeah. We just do Sin City. We just do the car scene. But, um, which, by the way, in Crimson Tide, you can blatantly tell the, the bits where Tarantino pops up. Cause it's I finally saw it for the first time about a year ago. Crimson Tide? Yeah, I've never it's seen it. Awesome. It's a good movie. It's so good. It's Solid. so tense. Yeah. And intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> Intensity and ten cities. Come here. Yeah. I mean, by God. Like, by the end of it, you're just like, oh, just fire him already. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um. Pacman's the best part, definitely. Oh. All you know who else is really good? Vigo. Yeah, um, Vigo's good, too. And Gandolfini is like the, the shithead. Yeah, there we go. Oh, hell Yeah. And who's the little bastard there who killed a man? That little, uh, little that, Itali- that Italian guy. I forget his name. He's always the Italian fellow. Oh, <laughs> Mo Bridges over here. Whoa. The Esoteric Film Podcast is because <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. Um, <laughs> so, after Jason, and which were, like, it was, it's a good But idea. as usual, I just sit there and wait for Will to <laughs> chime in with the, the movie that I know he wants to do because <laughs> no one else is doing it. Well, Okay, Jack, but there's a reason. Jackie Brown is Tarantino's third movie, but it's it's really lost in the shuffle because it's actually at the. I, I, you really should divide his filmmaking into two eras, like the nine, like truly '90s, and then from 2000s on. Because right. There, they there is definitely a change. Like he gets, he definitely evolves. He matures as a filmmaker in a lot of ways, and he actually I think started. It starts it. with Jackie. It Brown. does start with Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, though, for a lot of for, and there may be a variety of reasons for it. It doesn't get quite the fanfare or a lot of the recognition that some of the other classic now, Tarantino films do. Why do you think that is? All right, you. so I, I I was trying to think of various reasons. Well, I'm going to flip this light on here as we talk about it. So, uh, Oh, yes, it's winter. It gets dark now. Um, Only in the winter. On the one hand, and I think it plays into, there's not a lot of this, the, the typical Tarantino violence. That's one thing I think is, since there's not a lot of it, it's not as memorable. It's a fact that's on IMDb. Only nine gunshots are fired, and they only use four blood packs for the movie. But every single one is important. It it is. It is. And it's impactful. What else? Although it's a great script. Non-linear? Mm-hmm. Or sorry, linear. The, the, it's it is it, it's very linear. Yes, I think that plays into it because it's kind of against his normal style, which isn't bad. It's like you're you're trying something. So I, I I think if if people use that as a reason why it's foolish, because you know I I don't expect I don't expect every Nolan movie to be backwards no. after Memento, and they weren't. But for Batman would have been horrible. <laughs> I think you made a great point. That's it. I'll, I'll get to that. Now, why do you just? I I don't hate it, but I think it's the least interesting of all of his movies, and I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet. So I mean, I'm just pulled. But I have a good feeling it is very interesting. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just gonna pull out that because everything else, if you look at Reservoir Dogs, is it's a heist movie gone bad, but it's from a different perspective that you never see. 
Pulp Fiction is all over the place, and it's just something you never see. I mean, Kill Bill is a revenge story, and Glorious Bastards is alternate history stuff. Death Proof is just Kurt Russell in the killing car. But this is just, like you said in the tagline, a flight attendant gets caught up in money well, smuggling. Well, and that's not doing it justice. Right. right. I mean, but it, that's in a nutshell. There's a huge ensemble here. Yeah. I mean, it's a great cast. But every one of those is a genre-bending type of movies. Even this, to a degree, is a genre bend because it Look calls at the itself, actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at the actors and where they come from. You have oh, Pam Greer, Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. Michael Keaton, Robert Forster, Robert De Niro. I mean, Bridget, fuck, Fonda. Bridget Fonda is in this movie. I mean, th- these all come from different <laughs> kinds of movies. So besides when you, you said lin- the linear, non-linear, do you have, oh, it's very, do you have a theory? It's one? quite simple. It came after Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's very simple. Pulp Fiction was so different, so wildly different, so non-linear, so so non-traditional. Loved. Loved. Beloved. Beloved. For years. And people were, they're still apeshit about Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. And there was actually rumors that he would do a sequel to Pulp Fiction. Oh, the the Vega Brothers? Brothers. Well, yeah, well, that's a spinoff, but like a true sequel to Pulp Fiction. Thank God that never happened. I don't know how you could do that. I don't either. Reference, unless you want to like do side stories, like a prequel, maybe. Right. Here's how the Vega got the Bapon Chop. I don't see that. You got to remember this. This movie before this movie came out, in between this and Pulp, Tarantino was widely criticized, not for his films, but for the violence in his films. Right. And how and how he humanized. Um, L.A. Low Lives, oh, or, right, right. Or, well, villains too, yeah. in such a way that not even The Godfather did. Like this, the, this casual bullshit. Oh, conversation. and let us, oh God, let's don't step on the Godfather shoes. You know what I mean? Like people, always, oh. if you do something against the Godfather, you're an asshole. Even though, like, hey, uh, let's face it, if you put it up against Dark Knight, I'm sorry, mm. we won't get into that. Debate. No, we'll get into that. Oh no, God. Please. So I think this movie, in a way, was a Tarantino going. You know what I can do. A straightforward, straight-up narrative movie, you know, that's linear, and I can do it with less violence, and it can still be really Take good. Take it a step further. I can do somebody else's book. Right, yeah. that too. And that's it's, never it's been It's not Tarantino's sense. story. It's based on uh, Rum Punch. Right. Yeah, and I remember before I saw this movie... Because I, I didn't see it until maybe six or seven years ago. I thought this was his take on black exploitation films. Right. Because of that Pam was Greer. always the that was always the thing on it. Right. right. Well, and that was I, the trailer because I remember the trailer. The trailer was sold that way, and it opens with uh, across 110th Street, which you know was played, I believe, in one of those movies. I think think it was across 110th Street. So I was like, okay, he's, this is his take on black exploitation movies. Then I then I watched the movie when I was you know 20 or whatever, and I'm like. This is completely different no, from black exploitation. Exactly. It just happens to have black main characters, right? You know, and, and a woman who was known for for black exploitation cinema. It's it is it's a film noir more than it is a black exploitation. Oh yeah, film. but it's a it's definitely bends the 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 tropes and the. Well, there's a lot of things in this movie also. I think that are Tarantino esque. A dynamite soundtrack. Mm. A, uh, a great use of actors who are quote unquote forgotten or being misused right that he brings back because he's a huge fan of um, and Robert Forster like why that was one of the most interesting things was Robert De Niro wanted the Max Cherry part yeah and because <laughs> he likes black women well that, then that would have made sense and that's terrible that's not a reason <laughs> but that's, that's, not that, that's you're not wrong right. but you know I, but I imagine De Niro would have done something completely different and wonderful with the part 
part. Which is interesting because Tarantino gives it to Forster, who was mainly doing TV movies at the time, and De Niro gets this one of his strangest roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about yeah. it because it's. Oh, oh, I definitely can you imagine want to talk how that conversation Lewis. went down. Yeah, I can't believe De Niro was so willing to do. That's just I funny. think so. I think that because look at. Well, what films look, was he doing? Take a look with De Niro. Like De Niro was He's, approaching two years John. ago. He did Casino. Yeah, but. I, that Copland was ninety six. Mm-hmm. That was a supporting role, right? But it was meaty. He takes a role that I personally think in Lewis that there isn't a lot to, but he adds so many subtle nuances and little little choices that he makes. He makes that a three dimensional character unto itself, and that's what and that's another Tarantino thing that this movie has that I don't think he gets the credit for. This is one of, if not the most character driven movies that he's yeah. ever done, Absolutely. and and not just character driven. In, in a Tarantino sense, but I mean, because all of his movies are, but Pulp Fiction, the characters, I never, as much as I love Pulp Fiction, that's a great movie, but I don't think the characters are necessarily realistic. You know, like, like I mean, granted, they talk about the bullshit things that, that, that are hilarious, but most people don't go into detail like that. Right. Jackie Brown, the characters actually feel what Man, real. The same thing. She she was she made a, that exact comment that everyone's talking like how normal people would talk. Which right. I'm like, sure. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, I, normal people. Right. But right. you know, pe- you know, not people we hang around with. Right. But I, I definitely find it believable that there are people like this, right. especially Max Cherry, especially people like him. Yeah, totally. Jason, did you see this like when it came out? Because I'll be yeah. honest, I I was because I was, I was I had the unfortunate event of seeing Pulp Fiction the first time with my mom, that which was fun. yeah, real uncomfortable during the pawn shop rape scene. Luckily, she had fallen asleep. I didn't know that, so I'm just over there going, "Oh God, Ma, you oh, gotta God. see this!" Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, and then when this came out, I was a little bit older. Uh, so I was excited for it, and so I didn't go see it in the theater because I saw how long it was. Right. Uh, but I was—it was like day one. I bought it and I watched it one time and didn't watch it again because it was at the time as young as I was. I was right. under that influence. This is not what this was, so I don't like it. Right. Um, but it—I mean—it still was good, especially after rewatching it now because, like, Robert Farsh's character, Max Cherry, is amazing. Super calm. I think it's one of his best creations. Yeah, uh, Tarantino's. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but like it's it's really good. You can now knowing that this isn't a Tarantino story because of where it's uh, what's that, Roger? No more Leonard. No more Leonard. Because you know that's that. Because you can tell because the pacing, the dialogue is not his. Um, this one does it have more end bombs than the Django? No one this seems to has bring it up. A lot. Yeah, they Thank were really you. quick to bring up because Django was successful. How many of that has, but this one still success, but not as much. They just let it go under the rug. And I, I think the one it's thing probably because Samuel Jackson's saying it right mm. a lot. And I think in Django too, like it's a movie that's about a slave. Mm-hmm. Like so, like almost with that type of period, like it's almost like you would expect it. I think because when I was remembering as we were watching it, and because it it stands out very quickly how often Samuel Jackson mm-hmm. says the N word. Remember at the time, like, um, he and this is when the feud developed, really, with Tarantino and Spike Lee. Oh, yeah. Because Spike That's Lee. Sam Jackson defended him. Yeah. And, which is credit to him because he also knows that, you know, this guy's actually, this guy's really brilliant. He's actually doing, it's not just about the word. There's something to it. 
And there's that theory that Tarantino wants to be an honorary black person, or like that is that great interview that he did on BET where he's interviewed by uh, black people and he actually starts talking just like them. Which oh, is does he? Re- so, oh, it's so it's awful. Oh, it's one. Remember of the worst those at the time because Spike Lee had a movie out this time period too, and it was. Um, uh, geez, it's Son of Sam. <laughs> no, hold yeah. on, I'm blanking on it. It's um, Jungle Fever. No, it's the one with Denzel. Devil in a Blue Dress. No, 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 no. no. It's with Denzel and Ray Allen, the guy who, or the NBA player. <laughs> Shit. What? No, it's um, it's virtuosity. <laughs> Spike Lee's virtuosity. Well, why not? That'd be a cool. The white guy's the bad guy. Sid. Just look it up. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Keep talking. Yeah, but, uh, but um, we can discuss more. But at the time, like you know, um, it was almost like a competition between. And this movie did this movie did phenomenally better than Jackie Brown did, just because. Um, I it's weird. I think that movie did well at the time, but I think Jackie Brown holds up better over time compared to this. That movie is very dated, and it feels. Uh, Denzel's the one thing that carries it substantially. Yeah, how big he, got, he got game. That's what. It oh, is. He, he got, got game. game. That's it. I Damn never it. saw he got. Damn game. it! It's With good. His son Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And Ray Allen for a basketball player like carries Denzel? it very very well. But Denzel is is the is the show in that. I gotta see that. It's it's good because it's like pre training day, mm. but he's still doing a little bit of that training day stuff in there a little bit. But anyway, um, that. Uh, that came at the same time period. I think that you're right. Was, it's the same year. Yeah, yeah, because we're right under the nose of 20 years since Jackie Brown. And the other thing I was gonna say about De Niro not doing it, I think you would be a fool and at that time period if you were offered a chance to do a Tarantino. You have oh, yeah, to do you it. You have to do it, no matter what it is. Because De Niro, you're, you're I, I guess you're kind of right because this is right before he goes full blown comedy with Analyze This and then Meet the Parents, and then the, all the sequels to both of those movies. Right. Yeah, and just kind of just got lost. But I think this is really one of his best latter-day dramatic roles. Yeah, I I grapple with it a little bit. Really? To be honest. I, I, I do because... I, I don't at there, all. I think there's some scenes that here are really good, and then there's some where I... I don't know. We'll get into it a little bit more. It's the scenes where he's just sitting there? Those are the best ones. I'd much prefer him not talking and just kind of... Getting high, I, I, I think he kind of is a parody of himself in this a lot. Like, he, well, he does. He's he like, does this a he's lot. He's the parody, uh, or it's the. It's like he's he's doing what people expected De Niro to do. It's so interesting watching him. Uh, this arguably one of the most commanding actors of all time playing a complete idiot, and especially playing a second fiddle to Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Like it's funny watching Robert De Niro play a role that he is where he is absolutely not in control of any situation that he's in. Except the when I don't Except know why from because and I understand like I understand character progression and arc and everything. It's a weird dichotomy where he is in that scene as like even from the start of it, not even when everything goes bad, but just even the start of it mm-hmm. to to beforehand when he's just kind of mumbling on the couch smoking. I think he's had. Do we want to talk about his character now or? Um, yeah, we can. I, I think he's arguably one, the most interesting character. Because he's the most interesting? Arguably. I, I, Max Cherry is my favorite character yeah. in the movie. But, like, Lewis, I love the scene with him, his final scene with Sam Jackson, Ordell, in the, uh, in the van. When, you know, he doesn't even think to the, for the fact that Max Cherry was in the mall. 
Right. I mean, he sees him. He knows exactly who he is, but he doesn't think of it. Mm-hmm. And and then Ordell just kind of has a moment where he just looks at him and he goes, what happened to you? You know? And I love that. Just that one line. That tells me that this guy used to be hot shit in, in whatever racketeering gig he was in. But he got busted on a bank robbery. He can't find the car at the mall because he's probably still high. Mm-hmm. He spends all of his time getting high pretty much in the movie and just mumbling, not really knowing what he's doing. And this basically his it becomes his undoing. Right. Well, there's a physical transformation with him, too, from the first part. Because when they get to the day that they're going to go do that, he's shaved. Except his mustache. Right. His hair's combed and kempt. He, like he's this is more, the way he might, probably might have used to look. Yeah, and it's like I'm in, like, it's game day. Like, I'm, I can't get fucked around today. Because he's also a lot more tense than he yeah. normally is. Cause and he's, pl- and yeah, and plus he puts up with a lot of shit. Yeah. From, yeah. from Ordell and from um, Surfer Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah Melanie. Yeah, and, and he just takes it. Just takes it. It's so weird seeing Robert De Niro take shit from people. Yeah. When I mean, you've seen stuff like Goodfellas and Casino, Raging Bull, stuff like that. You know, where he's such a commanding presence. Yeah. No, I, I really love his work. And he, his, he, he doesn't look fit. Mm-hmm. Like, he actually, he doesn't look overweight, but he doesn't look like the Robert De Niro that I'm used to. Right. He just kind of looks like he's just way past his prime. And he looks like a guy who just got out of jail four days ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that he has minimal lines. Because he gets to act with his face and just, mm-hmm. And which he does that a lot. Right. But there's a lot going on behind his eyes, I think. Yeah. I it, Sometimes it, it feels like it gets lost. Yeah, I do think, and I think part of the problem is watching it now versus watching it maybe then because now it's, it's the joke is so overdone, the... The quintessential Robert De Niro scene. Yep, yep. Well, any little scene where the the yeah. scene where they open the trunk and find Bob. Oh. That scene alone is just De Niro just. Mm-hmm. Who's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah, you you killed a guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just like like to watch the look on his face when Ordell's like it was either him or me, and if you're gonna come in with me on this, I need to know that you're in it 100. percent Right. Just like ooh. Oh, and De Niro's. Mm-hmm. You yeah. think it's because he's desperate. They had associated where these two had known each other for a while. And this 20 might years be, ago. This might be the first time he's seen Ordell kill somebody. That's possible. Because he only knows Ordell from prison because mm-hmm. they serve time together. Yeah. But so let's dive anything, in. El- anything else before we dive in? I don't think so. I think the rest of it we're going to come up. It will, we will come across it, I'm sure, as we go through this a little bit. Sure. So that's two hours and 34 minutes. It's a long movie. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel too long. No. It didn't feel that long last night when I was watching Like, the mall scene begins basically at the hour 35 mark. And I'm like, Jesus, how long does this thing go? Yeah. But Mm -hmm. we come across first. It's the track shot. We see Jackie Brown at the airport. Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, Love this shot. Then we cut to the apartment or the house where we see this chicks who love guns. Love this whole scene. Love the dialogue. Yeah, AK forty seven. That whole bit. That was in the trailer. I remember that from the trailer. Kill yeah. every motherfucker in the room. <laughs> no substitutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, chicks who love guns is. I love it too. At the very end, they show the credits for for the women that were in that. One of the women is her. It's her name, and then it says MD. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to restore some dignity. 
So um, this is where we also get we get introduced to Lewis we're talking about, mm-hmm. or Dell and yeah. Melanie. We get introduced to the whole group. Bridget Fonda, this is in, she's 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 not bad. She's all right. It, it's serviceable. There's not much. There's not a lot. Not to this type of do character, with it. right? I don't know if somebody could have done it better. I'm sure they could have. There's just. You know what's weird is like he was dating Mira Sorvino at the time, and I know she. I just used her. That's I mean, he's obsessed with Bridget Fonda's feet too. Oh God! Yeah. Like, I feel like Robert. He wrote Robert De Niro to be him. Like, he wanted to be Robert De Niro, <laughs> in a way. I'm going to fuck, fuck Bridget Fonda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, no. All right, uh, But then that's the, the, the one meaningful thing is we get the call from Beaumont in this scene. This is when... Chris I, Tucker. Chris Pre- Tucker. Rush Hour. Pre-Money Talk. No, no, no. no Money no, Talks no, came no, out the same year. Yep. This is uh, Fifth Element. This Chris is Fifth Element. Too. Yeah. Yeah, and Chris Tucker is actually pretty good. For yeah, what it is. is. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it's serviceable. So, Ordell gets a call from Beaumont. So, then it's this when he now rolls into the bail bondsman. This is where we meet Max Cherry, played by Robert Forrester. This is good stuff. Yeah. Um, his It's it's smart what Samuel L. Jackson's doing here, what Ordell is. He's he's full of shit. Oh, yeah. Just a bullshit artist. And, yeah. And, but Max Cherry sees it. Oh, and, yeah. And he just kind of blows it off. Right. He just kind of just all right. This he's going to get I a need. bond with money he's already got, uh-huh. so he doesn't really need the bond. But he's using it to kind of convert the cash, so that doesn't look funny. It's a Ten thousand dollar bond. Yeah, yeah, with cash. Yeah, and I love yeah, I love that bit about well, I can give you the cash right now, and just well, why don't you just do? I just do that then. You just, yeah, just do that then. He's like, man, I'm a black man. Black man rules <laughs> out with ten thousand dollars. That shit's awesome. And Max Cherry just whatever. <laughs> I know you're dirty, but it's not my job to bust you. I'm not a cop. Is this the scene where the tiny Lister part comes from? Yeah, this is great. Who's that big? Who's who's that big? You know what on the wall? Yeah, we'll just say you know what. Yeah, (laughs) oh, that's my. Though he works for you. Yeah, and I bet that picture was your idea, wasn't it? Oh my god! And just. Mm. Like there's like a whole there's a, a bunch of other movies going on in oh, this yeah. movie. How about the fact like he comes in and he's like, "Do you have some place I can ash?" Like, yeah, it's so insulting. Just lights yeah. it up while he's on the phone working with music. Yeah, yeah. and Robert De Niro is uh, hanging out. The instructions for the car. Oh, that is hilarious <laughs> because oh man, I never noticed it before. But yeah, when, when Ordell's like, "Yeah, you may you may just hit the button," it goes beep boop beep, and then boom, it's done. And he hits the button on the outside, and it makes that exact yeah. sound. I, was, I like how oh. they give us the shot of him doing it. Like, yeah, we have because I'm like, why are I always pay attention with Terry? I'm like, why are we following him outside? Right, and it's just so he can hit the button. I'm like, oh, that's great because I and don't mess with my fucking levels. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can turn the music on, but just don't mess with my levels. <laughs> Chris Tucker would later turn this into an iconic scene in Rush Hour. <laughs> so good. But, um, all right, so we now go to, where is it? Where is um, Chris Tucker? Where is Beaumont located? Well, I forget Beaumont the, is he's in, in Hollywood. He's Hollywood. in Hollywood. He's in Hollywood. Yeah, he's in Hollywood. So Ordell rolls up there and he tells me, yeah, you know. Um, Did we mention why Ordell is at the bail bond? <coughs> to well, bail out. Uh, Beaumont? Right. Yeah. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. That's why he's there. So he, he goes to meet Beaumont because now Beaumont's out. He's like, yeah, man. Um, he tells me he's going to, he needs him to come with him to do a, to do a job, basically. Yes. Yeah, Korean town. Korean. To Korea town to hide in the trunk and, and have the shotgun ready as an intimidation tactic. I think this is the best shot thing in the movie. This, this is so is beautiful. You're talking about the crane shot? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, All in one. How they did this. I mean, just. 
I love it. And it's and the it's, thing about I guess thing about Tarantino because Tarantino I always think is the greatest wannabe who got to be like yes. he is he oh, wants yeah. he wants to be so many different filmmakers and he, he actually does it. does it like it's what's really he, cool. he he mimics so many different filmmakers that it ends up somehow inadvertently creating its own style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's it's what's so special. Even in a movie like this, where it's truly the most traditional narrative structure that that he has. Did you feel like something was coming? Because the way, like the way the when conversation was going. When I first saw the going, movie, yeah. I mean, I remember thinking Beaumont would, you know, the way that Ordell describes him as, you know, he's looking at ten years. You know? Which, by the way, is a tidbit that Robert Forrester kind of drops because he this is like um, Cherry drops some stuff that I think makes this scene happen because mm-hmm. he talks about how he got. Um, that sounds busted. like too much, or. Yeah, because he's no. That's when it's coming up later with the Jackie. But he's saying, "Well, he got caught drunk driving with a gun. That is too much." He goes, "Oh, okay. He has a prior gun. Yeah, he's got priors for guns in Kentucky or something." So yeah, it's from like three years ago or something. Mm -hmm. So then that's what that's what kind of makes Ordell need to do what he does here, which is puts him in the trunk and drives just not even around the block. I was worried. I remember thinking that, like, like that. Why is the camera cutting? But Ordell is so compelling uh, with his story. Because that's another thing. Tarantino trademark. The long shot. The long take. Where this is a dialogue scene without cutting. And Chris Tucker, you know, it's not easy. It cannot be easy to stand toe-to-toe with Samuel L. Jackson. Doing a Quentin Tarantino script. Yeah. and But he's selling it. And then there's the, the, the bit with the trunk or with the, with the camera hanging right. out of the trunk, sure. which we've seen a million times. Yeah. But Beaumont makes a, you know, a hell of a, a stand against going in there. But Ordell makes a great case. Uh, for why he should do it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, why is there no cutting? And then he just pulls... As soon as he pulled in, I was like, oh, this... This is not good. This If this felt like a Scorsese type kind of, of shot in a way, which is fine. Again, it's totally like cool. good fellas. But yeah. Watching it when I saw it, I was very surprised because Chris Tucker was blowing up. Yeah. So that's what I mean. You're like, like this guy's blowing up. And he's out already. And Tarantino doesn't mind whacking stars sure. in movies. Like he will do it very easily. Like Travolta's death comes out of nowhere in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like it's just oh, it's uneventful. Yeah, dude. it's uneventful. That's what I like about his deaths. Um, there's one later. That yeah, it's so surprising that it it, it just it, it actually hurts you for a second. Yeah, Jesus, mm-hmm. like like just this kind of gut punch. We then go from so he shoots um, Beaumont in the trunk. And um, fade to black. Fade to black. Do you think it's interesting that he would let Beaumont bleed out in his trunk? Well, I that's think not his. Yeah, it's not whose car. No, that's just another stolen car. Because his car is like that right. little tiny black that. Uh, right. convertible looking car. Because right. that's one of the things I noticed after seeing it again, where he's because knowing what's coming, then because he's telling, "Don't touch it. I got the levels where I want." And then, but he's in this car. And then you see he just pushes a cassette in on a shitty radio. I'm like, ain't, ain't no levels there. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Things are starting to right match now. Yeah. So the next scene is where we're talking about. He rolls up to where Robert. It's, it's like he did this for De Niro. Because mm-hmm. De Niro is getting. It's not a lap dance, but it's a, some. A, I love the face contortion baby love. Yeah. And just <laughs> that is, And that's Simone. Simone. Yeah, Simone. that's Simone doing that. And De Niro just. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's enjoying this. Yep. Yeah, I like this, this is hot nice. stuff. Oh, it moved. Yep, yep, yep. Um, a little bit. Yep. <laughs> and then he gets a call, and then because um, Ordell's outside, comes outside, and then what does Lewis find? But there, he shows him the Beaumont body in the trunk. 
And he breaks it down why. I, I thought his explanation was really solid. Like, mm-hmm. basically, it's Beaumont basically what talk. you thought. Yeah. What you, why you thought he did it. He yeah. would talk. And if you know a guy like Beaumont, you know there's no way he's doing 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I just, mmm. Mm-hmm. I see. One thing I like about this movie, there are really no good guys. Nope. No. Not really. No. It's just a bunch of bad and lesser bad, you know. Right. So the uh, we cut to now we have Jackie Brown back at the airport. Is it LAPD or FBI? I, it's ATF. Well, it's LAPD. No, it's... I don't think he's LAPD. Michael uh, Keaton's ATF. Yeah, he's the ATF. other guy. I thought he was LAPD. Michael Bowen. No, I don't is, think he's uh, a LAPD because he at some point they asked something about why don't you go to the cops and she's like, Cause oh, he's FBI, they, so he's not okay. LAPD. The authorities mm-hmm. and they don't let her know who is that actor. Who is that? That's guy? Michael Bowen. Michael Bowen. Okay. Michael Bowen. He's been. He's a character actor. The thing I'm only know him for is Breaking Bad. He's phenomenal in Breaking Bad. He was the head, the lead Nazi. Oh, at, yeah. wow! In the, in the last season, that dude has aged. Yes, he has aged considerably. Uh, yeah, because he usually played these kind of parts. He was kind of a, a pushover kind of thing, and then mm. in that one, he just fucking took off. But he he works well with Keaton. Yeah, because that's that's the job. And what's I, I what's funny is the initial the initial thing I thought when I saw Michael Keaton is that he was going to play a kind of goofy. Because mm-hmm. if I was because Jason texted me, and I remembered this. He's in Out of Sight as the same character. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it felt like that was a little more comedic, almost. Because Out of Sight was a comedy. I sort guess, kind of. It wasn't funny, but no. Just... I was trying to... But that's, I guess I was expecting more comedic from Michael Keaton. And it's not... It's Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, he, he is a straight-laced... Pretty much straight-laced dude. Now, um, Michael Bowen... Var, is it Vargas? What's his name? Yeah. He's Vargas. No, Vargas. I thought Ray was was Ray Ray Ra- Vargas. Michael Ray Nicolette. Ra- Ray. Michael, yeah, Michael Keaton's Nicolette. Okay, I can't remember. If it was I think it's Va- let's just say it's Vargas. Vargas. Seinfeld. He plants the drugs in the back because like Jackie Brown's bringing in money. She's got a shitload of money. How much has she got? Fifty thousand. Yeah, fifty k. Fifty k. And he plants the the. I forget how much cocaine. And two ounces. Who two pl- ounces. who plants it? Well, doesn't Vargas put it in there? I was looking for that because they showed him going through there. I thought, how do you hide it? a whole envelope in your sleeve? Because this is one of the things in the movie that I'm not clear. Oh, no, on. no, he didn't put the envelope in his sleeve. He put just that sack of drugs. The sack of drugs wasn't in an envelope. He it put it in, in the, the envelope. I think the. I thought he put it in there. My thing is, is I thought they kind of explained that that the guy that she's going down there and getting the money from uh-huh. knows Melanie and sends her, but she doesn't seem like someone who's coke dealer. I thought he was just a dirty cop who. Like, see, I was paying attention. I didn't. I didn't see it because I. Because they, I was they made a point it. to show that in his a hands. figure you don't. Mm-hmm. But you don't see his hand take anything out. I thought there was something he slides in there. I thought I and because I was confused about this. Well, no where it came she, from. Because she legit looks like because this is good after Pam Greer's part. Like mm-hmm. she totally stonewalls these guys when they go through this stuff in the in the room and everything. They run her. They run a report and you find out all this stuff about her. The fact that she was a, a Delta airline, but she got busted. For Again, smuggling shit in, and now she's bumped down to this the yeah, worst airline, airline ever. Apparently, sixteen thousand dollars. You believe that? And yeah. living in L.A. Yeah. yeah. How does she afford? That's not the L.A. you were in, pal. No. <laughs> How does she afford anything? Yeah. Well, right. Right. No, yeah, sir. God dang, man. But um, I, that's why I thought she he planted it because she sells it like that ain't mine. Mm-hmm. Like. Well, why would he plan it? So they can take her in and try to talk to her about Ordell? Well, at no point during, in any other time during the movie, though, do you see any but, implication that he can slide. That's true. I know. Right. Or, or any and later on in the movie, Ordell seems to 
go along with oh oh well that he must have put that in uh, for for Melon yeah yeah like or, or Dell seems to you know not be totally surprised that there was coke in there I guess I, I don't I don't know I have to go back and look at that I guess but um but they bust they they bust Jackie Brown they they end up we end up going next to her courtroom scene with Sid Haig playing the judge Sid Haig who later gets a weird little nod to himself. Uh, when she looks at the names later on in the movie of what office she needs to go to, and it says S. Haig. And I'm like, he's in the movie. Do we have to? <laughs> I, I love, love black exploitation films. I don't know. I, that's a, that's a, that was an off-the-cuff Tarantino. Terrible. Yeah, Terrible. Eat the dick on that one. Um, <laughs> she gets put out on a $10,000 $10, bond herself. Samuel Jackson. Is that put... Was Samuel Jackson in court? Yeah, he was. He, he was. was. He was. He was watching yeah, her. He was there because they requested a higher bond because of the nature of her job, right? Which right. the judge denied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which always made me wonder: like, are we going to come back to this? Is he like he always wondered? Tarantino movies. It's always like, so who's on the take? Mm-hmm. Right. You always think there's always people that are always on nobody's the take. good in these movies, right? Mm-hmm. Ever. Um, when uh, Samuel Jackson roll, or Ordell goes over to see. Max Cherry, the bail bondsman, because now he wants to transfer the bond from Beaumont, who's now dead, to Jackie Brown. And this and is when Max this Cherry is when finds he out. figures this shit out. That like Beaumont's he, dead. Yeah. And he starts to piece together that there's something else going <laughs> on. Which would be, oh, you didn't hear? Yeah. Oh, man. Somebody killed Beaumont. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, because if I was a criminal, I would not be going to the same bail bondsman to pick people right. up that I'm going to turn around and kill anyway. But I guess because he still hasn't, it's so quick, and he hasn't gotten the money back, he just figures he can do this. Yeah, I think it's just hubris. Like you yeah. know, it's it, you know, just the way he looks, the way he dresses, the way he, that guy thinks that he's untouchable. He's hot shit. And, and I like one critic said that he's that this is a character who this is a great example of a character who's not as smart as he thinks he is. Right. Yeah. He's just he has such a high ego of Which, himself. That's a good villain. Like yes. you know. I, it, it, it's a good. It's, it's pro- eventually his undoing. Absolutely, it mm-hmm. is totally. So next we get the awesome. It's a. It's it's a really well done introduction scene between two characters. Or is I like this isn't necessarily the meet cute mm-hmm. that you hear about between you know ooh, the romantic interest people meet each other, but it's not like this. It's just a wonderfully orchestrated scene when he picks up Max Cherry meets Jackie Brown mm-hmm. and he's obviously infatuated with her. But it's so cool the way he sells it. It's he, underplayed. Yeah. Very. That's why, like, I even think De Niro, like, as much as he underplays, I don't think he could have underplayed as well as Robert Forrester Oh, I think does. Forrester was made for this role. He nails this on so I, I think De Niro would have been overpowering as probably, Max Probably, and it probably would have been too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's Robert De Niro. He's sweet. There's something nice about him, right. too. He's and, a nice and guy. He's, and he's weathered. Yeah. And he looks like he's seen a lot of shit, and he's tired. Mm-hmm. And he's given up on anything other than his job. That's what I love later when when Ordell talks shit to him later, and he just mm-hmm. yeah, he just kind of mm-hmm. yep, it's awesome. Anyway, um, they they go to um, I don't forget where they end up having. They go to a place to have drinks. I like how the thing is she's she keeps turning down these bars. He says, "Why don't you go somewhere dark? I just got out of jail." Right, it's a good point. Like, yeah. The, that's that's the thing. Rear, she's really she worried about her. She's so good in this. Yes, because mm-hmm. she's not a lady who gets a lot of act like uh, I guess not necessarily accolades, but just she doesn't get a lot of praise for being a great actress. She is so good in this. She yeah. has to carry a two and a half hour movie, and she has not starred in a you movie. Know what's in she years. has to be the femme fatale and the protagonist. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. 
which is a genre bend. That's not how a film noir usually goes. That's a tough two-fister. Right? And she wears a lot of costumes in this mm-hmm. movie. I don't know. Like yeah. She wears unflattering costumes and extremely flattering costumes. Yeah, totally. Like, you look at her flight attendant thing and you don't think much of it. And later on in the movie, she wears that red dress. Oh, yeah. And you're like, holy shit. And she goes on Mike Tyson later with that hat in the in the cafe. I love her oh, yeah. with the hat. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That looks great, too. But they have a nice little scene. We're be- Throughout this, the next couple scenes they have together, he starts to, because he's infatuated with her, he wants to keep talking to her, he learns about what's going on a little bit. I forget well, how, we, how far... We get a nice little hint. We get a nice little insert uh, shot of him putting his gun in the glove compartment. Right. Yeah, and, rela- and, and with Tarantino, you got to question we, right. every little thing that you see in the movie. Like, why would we focus That's on why that? the back thing, I was so focused on it, if he yeah. planted that, because... Tarantino knows what he's doing. He's very smart. Yeah. Like how, and you, you get where she figures out there's a gun, because you got any cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, she just gets in the car and starts, this is mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like how she, she takes things. And so, um, he takes her back to her place, where I... I think... Is this where they talk about the records? Yeah. It's so cool. This is a great scene. Yeah. And... It's still relevant this today, is where, sort of. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very interesting. No, this doesn't happen until the morning. They don't talk about music until the morning. He drops her off at her house. Right. Oh, because she's waiting for Ordell. She's waiting right. for Ordell. And Ordell is right down the street in his car, which is really weird that Robert Forster, Max Sherry, would drive right by him, and Ordell does, has such an ego... Yeah. He wouldn't duck down or nothing. He just sits just there. Just listening to Johnny Cash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee stud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the one thing, too, is Tarantino it's loves so to play with music. Is is this just music for the scene? Is the character listening to the music? Mm-hmm. And it's like, so he's getting in his killing mood. He's a master. Yeah. The, throughout the movie, he's putting on gloves. And usually, like, they set it up that when he's doing that. Right. And what's awesome is that it's not even like they're disposable. Like, he puts on, like, nice fucking leather yeah. gloves and shit. Like, he kills okay. in style. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He goes in the house. They start talking. She lets him in. He keeps turning the light off. Yeah. You know? And, and it's really weird how, like I said, his ego is so fucking big that he would turn the lights off, and he's clearly visible with gloves on while the lights are on, that he wouldn't think that maybe he should just kill her right away <coughs> instead of just... And how about... She doesn't freak out at all. No, mm-hmm. she's very calm. Yeah. Very calm until she whips the gun out. And, and it's she, so good. Because that's switch. where that... Is, it's after this where we see the editing where he... Robert. Oh, Forrester, yeah, because you're like, why are we going 24 here? Right. And I, all of a sudden, we're watching Robert Forrester, and it's just... And he's got this... Not a big smile, but a yeah. nice little hopeful, whimsical, like, boyish smile yeah, totally. of... I like that girl. It's a great little moment. And then he opens the glove box. And then it just goes, oh, and then, yeah. And she whips out the gun. It's a great is editing that, trick. Is that a gun against my dick? Yes. Awesome. It's like, I got a gun again. Yeah. Uh, I don't like how they explain why, for some reason, this guy would just look at his glove box the next day. Because he's getting ready to go to another right, job. Right, because they don't explain it until later. Mm-hmm. That he was going to a job. And at 50 minutes of the movie, here comes the plot. Like, this is where we get this the is breakdown it. of what... Which um, we should say... And I don't know if it's a detraction from the movie, but this is a really complicated yes. plot. And I always, anytime it's a heist movie, like... And I, all heist movies I always are like need to, I have to slow... I, I'm slow here. I'm not dumb, but I, am, I have to... I, have I am to, too. I almost have to <coughs> write about... the movie Heist? Yo, <laughs> yes. Gene Hackman? Yeah. I still don't know what the fuck happened <laughs> in that movie. I'm still trying to figure out Mission Impossible. At I always point... I do figure it out. 
it's one of the best things about watching that movie, rewatching. It's like watching it for the first time every single time because you end up. It's it's a lot like that scene in Diary of the Vengeance when they talk about the the three gallon jug and the five gallon jug. Right. It makes sense. If you're paying attention and you watch it, you will forget about it, though, immediately. Yeah, because I, I... I can't explain it to you now, but I know the last time I watched it, I understood it. Right. I was like, okay. Um, so, we get the plot. So, let's break this down. So, the idea is, first, what's the... How, it's, it's a half a million it's a half dollars. A million. Is, first of all, Kyle Ordell has a half million. He wants to get his remaining half million from Cabo, and then he's out. Right. He'll just... He'll retire. And that's what he needs. But she needs collateral because the ATF is talking to her. Mm-hmm. So she, she has this really strange deal where if she gets arrested, she doesn't say his name at all, but she'll get $100,000. And if she goes in for two years, she gets another $100,000. And he's cool with it. Yeah. That's the initial plot. Right. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you kind of have to just assume because the audience doesn't really let you know. Mm-hmm. Which side she's on, right? Mm-hmm. But as an audience member, you have to assume based on the knowledge that you're given what kind of person she is, yeah. Because she has three sides to choose from, and and it's like I think she likes Max. I think she's with him. Because part of me, like watching, like initially, like once we start getting into more of the scenes with her and him, I was like, is she playing him? Mm-hmm. Is she right. using him? Because. That's what a film noir does. Like the femme fatale always uses uh, a, some very what's it for her own what's advantage. Right, I can't I can't, I, I can't say the word without bumbling it. Your dad talks about the guys that the people on Folly Beach. That word, <laughs> ne'er do wells. I never. Uh, it's I cannot say that word very well. First time I ever saw that word was on the back cover of the VHS of the original Pink Panther movie, and it was how it was described. <laughs> That's how they described the Robert Wagner character. It was like this. He's a ne'er do well from. I was like a nerd well. What's a ne'er do well? <laughs> say it. Let's go try it. Ready? But it, that's it's a strange word. That's how I kind of think of Robert. That, that that the type of character, not necessarily Robert Forster, but that's the guy in a film noir that gets pulled into something. Yeah, well, I, I think the thing is though is she's misreading him because I mean he's nineteen years of being a bail bondsman. Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand bail bonds. He's seen a lot of shit. He knows when he's getting bullshit. Like we're talking about with Ordell. I think he knows at some point he knows that she he's getting but bullshit he, from her. How, and there's he has here's a, the difference. He's actually infatuated. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's, and that's that can fuck up a lot of yeah, shit. Man. He has a great line later on and it really shows how smart he is when he talks about uh, Nicolette, Michael Keaton's character, yeah. when he says, A good cop will never let you know that he knows that you're full of shit. And it's something like that. Yeah, and it's I, like no, you're he is really smart. Because Michael Keaton doesn't. He Ma- doesn't really Michael s- Keaton doesn't quite Follow it. Like, he doesn't quite get it. And we'll get into that later because that's one of the few problems I have with this movie. But um, it's, 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 very, it's very compelling. Uh, all right, so... Anyway, did we, did we justify breaking down the, the way this plan was going to work? How well, she was going to get the 500000 Because I think that's, that's where we come into... That's the next... Because that's part one of the plot. Now... Part two start, kind of starts the next day where records and CDs conversation. Mm-hmm. This, I think, I think what the whole movie is really about is this scene. It's generational. It's generational. Yeah. And it's about, this is, at the heart of it, I think this is a, a movie about getting older. And because they talk about his hairline. And he goes, well, I, I, you know, I started losing my hair and I, I did something about it. It doesn't bother you getting older? No, I just don't really think about it. But it bothers her. 
And you can see that. And you can tell that she's a woman whose life has kind of passed her by. Right. And he thinks so too, but he doesn't seem to care as much until he meets her. It's a really sweet little scene about CDs versus records. Right. And you know you haven't upgraded to the CD generation, which later we see that neither has he. He's actually still with tapes, right? Yep. <laughs> I love this scene. It's, this is a great little moment. When he goes when he goes to the mall, it's so sweet. He's looking for that. He song. goes to the movies alone. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. He's just a nice dude. Yeah. So now though, here we get part two of the because is it at the end of this where she says, "If you had a chance to take." Because at first he's like, well, he kind of he's hesitant to answer mm-hmm. fully that would he take the money if he had a chance to take five hundred grand that really doesn't belong to anybody, would you do it? Mm-hmm. And it fade or it dissolves out before we really get him to say a straight answer. Yep. But it, that's quickly we quickly know what what he chooses. But now she makes this is where she goes back to Vargas and Nicolette, and we kind of get. She's, this is where she starts to really play both sides. Before we get in it, can we talk about this real quick? Because I wanted this explained because I didn't follow it. What made the agents go after Jackie in that when they first got her? Or, um, Beaumont. Did Ordell rat them out? No, Beaumont did. Beaumont. What did Beaumont he Beaumont said her name. Yeah. When he was... Because that's, I mean, that's exactly... Him? Yeah, that's exactly why Ordell killed him. Right. As he talks. So he probably said he said... And well, she's he, got some... She's probably got some flight attendant bringing him his money. Uh-huh. So they knew exactly who, like, they probably didn't, he might not name her, but then they could just look at all the people who work for this flight company because he says, oh, it's in Mexico, Cabo Airlines. Well, here's a person who's got priors. Let's search her. Oh, look. But they did know, that's the thing, is they knew exactly how much money she had, though, too, without right. counting it. So I think he probably gave him a lot of info. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I just wanted that explained. No, that's cool. But now we get the deal. This is part two of the plot. Deal with the cops, which is now... I think this is where she talks about how they're going to do the, the test, mm-hmm. the test run. Test run. There are going to be two two exchanges basically. We're going to do the first one, which is going to be for ten thousand, ten thousand dollars, because the idea is they're going to. They're not whip. really interested in the money. No, they, they just want to nab or because this is guns. where she actually names him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the funny thing is in the scene previous, he's telling her like, they didn't, or she's telling Ordell, they didn't bring your name up. Yeah, and nope. she's just like, this is his name, and I like how. She plays the situation that she can't take him that money anymore, so they've got to do it. So the test runs not just for the the authorities to watch this. Right. It's also for Ordell to see if this works right? to get the money. It's pretty damn smart. On oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So the idea is just she's going to bring the money to a public place where she'll basically give it off to somebody else, and that's who the ATF is going to follow because they're going to take it to Ordell. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. So they're setting that up so that when – but <laughs> – right – it's a decoy. Exactly. Because Ordell is going to have two people. Because mm-hmm. he has Sharonda, the country bumpkin, who thinks it. Compton is Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, uh, what's her face? Simone. Baby Love. Simone. Yeah, mm-hmm. Simone. And this is really interesting, uh, how this is going to play out. And this is this is her side working for Ordell, there right? Th- yes, because now because at this point now you have three. There are three different versions of this plan. There's always three. Right. Mm-hmm. There's three sides. Yeah. There's there's Ordell. There's the ATF, and there's Max Cherry. Right. Yeah. So is this when we get the scene, the the, the trial run? No, because first no. before do, they do, do the wait? trial run, there is they. This is where they meet at the mall, where she and Ordell meet. She makes sure they go over it. She gives him the shopping bag because this is also when you see just Max Sherry coming out of the movie theater alone 
just walking to the food court, Ordell sees him. What the fuck? But then sees <laughs> he sees him. Well, he just gets out the way first. It's when they when when she sees Max Sherry and gets his attention, and then they start talking. That's when he. Right. That's the what the fuck. That's when he's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. at first it's just coincidental. This guy's just leaving a movie theater on his own getting something to eat. And then he just leaves. And I guess, what movie do you think he went and saw? American President? <laughs> well, because it's America. The it's posters on the wall are American. There's two posters on the wall. It was American President and something else. Like something from. Because this movie takes place in 1995, even right. though it came out in 97. Right. So yeah, they're doing 95 movies. I can't remember what the other movie was. I was thinking about Seinfeld where I saw the American president was a poster. Yep. So it was uh, Forget Paris, which is funny because they do, in Seinfeld, they, um, Seinfeld, one of my favorite things about that show, to get off topic, is the fake movies that they would do. It's it's hysterical. But occasionally you'd see a poster for a real movie that existed. Totally. For some reason, it's American presidents and Forget Paris. (laughs) Those are the two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're great movies, but, you know. So now we come back to Robert De Niro and Bridget Fonda. So the Lewis and Melanie characters have this crazy tension between them. Mm-hmm. It's insane, like the sexual it's tension. Weird. And this is her apartment. Yeah. Yep. And, which is a beautiful, like, nice. I mean, the apartment itself is whatever, but it's on the beach. Yeah. And that's what, that's what matters. Awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And, and they established that they knew each other before. Six yeah. years prior, <coughs> which is a weird because later on in the movie, Samuel Jackson talks about her and says, oh, she's not as pretty as she used to be. But I'm like, She's 20. <laughs> she probably hasn't even peaked yet. You know. Thank <laughs> you, oh. because she runs her mouth all the time. She does. And she just sits around and gets high and walks around barefoot. The interesting, though, with this is, is it... Well, it's obviously a scene where they, they fuck for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Is this where, though, she starts to kind of reveal stuff this about is, Ordell? This was the plan. Mm-hmm. This, there's a, okay, so there's this actually is the fourth a fourth Thursday. Yeah. You're right. But the, the other three are all but De Niro's, and but this is Lewis is not 100% on this. Mm-hmm. Lewis actually, in his very next scene, tells yeah. Ordell, why do you trust her? She's, uh, you know, she's going to turn on you. Ah, she's my little surfer girl. Which I almost thought was him deliberately doing that because it seems like everybody is playing everybody against everybody in this movie. Maybe. But he's such a fuck-up because I love He's the, a fuck-up. I like, <laughs> like how he, he De says... De Niro, I love him in this movie. This is so against his type. I love how he's like... Uh, it gets out that he slept with her and he just goes, oh, she's not your girlfriend? Oh, no, no, now you ask? Yeah. <laughs> now he goes, did you feel bad? A little, but now I don't because she wasn't your girlfriend. He's like, yeah. He's like, that's why I left her there with you. She'll fuck anybody. Right. And well, he actually, before Ordell leaves, right before they fuck, mm-hmm. before Ordell leaves, he actually says something to her. Mm-hmm. Like, go easy on him. Don't rip his clothes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says, he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, they're, and they're getting high the whole time. Like, he, Robert, Lewis doesn't get high and. And in this movie, as a character, until she starts whipping it out and breaking out the bong, and he's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll take it." Ed. Which is funny to watch De Niro hit. Mm-hmm. I love the 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 thing, and she's like, oh, "This picture, that's me in Japan." And they have like this whole dialogue about the guy she lived with in Japan. She goes, "That's me. That's Japan right there." What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah it's in, it's interesting how that becomes like a fourth thing in this. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it doesn't really materialize. We don't... Not really. These are the, really the only characters where we don't quite know what Lewis was thinking. I think they killed Simone. 
Simone disappears. That's right. what I mean, but it's the... You, but, but yeah, but she disappears, and, and there's no explanation for it. That's a good point. Maybe, maybe. Because they didn't get the 10 grand that she had. But it's, it's never quite revealed whether or not Lewis is a killer. Right. Lewis is a bank robber. Bank robber, right. Yeah, he did two or three years, and now he's out. But, Which, but he if I'm basing this on other Elmore Leonard thing, like with Out of Sight, George Clooney's not a killer either. He just robs banks. Mm-hmm. He threatens, but he never actually... Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting theory because Simone disappears from this movie, right? Because something she right, so says that it's something that because that, that happens, and you hear him talk, you hear Odell talking about how she just up and ran with his money, all her stuff's gone, and then Quentin cuts to them on the couch. I mean, it's the whole with there's nothing, and then they kind of say something that you can't hear, and he says something like it was mumbles all the time. He mumbles something, so it's like maybe that's when he killed the first time. What do you guys think of the trial run? Because that comes up next, like where we actually see it in action. Like, is uh, I like it. Yeah, it's it's you in. Got Max Cherry watching. Yeah, and you know, to see if it's possible. Right. And the look on his face, just oh, it's just my work. Especially when he sees, the sees Nicolette, sees Vargas, sees them follow. And that was a great camera trick because I didn't realize that was Simone. Right. Un- until she grabbed the bag, and I was bag. like, oh, oh, I just got chills. Like, I, like, yeah, this could work. So I think now is right. So. Is this a scene then where it's it's De Niro, it's Samuel Jackson, Bridget Fonda? Where it's the it's the scene. It's the funniest scene in the movie where De Niro's just sitting on the couch where they're screaming on the porch. Oh, it's great because the dialogue. If you actually like really try to listen, you can hear everything they're saying. Mm-hmm. But if you're just kind of like if you don't have the volume turned up all the way, you can't hear a thing. And De Niro just. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really like this program. Yeah, I like how they they he makes Melanie leave, which is weird. They're like get out, like or something. Doesn't want her there. Um, and then all the fake TV shows, and you can and you can tell she resents Ordell a yeah. lot. Like we didn't bring up the phone incident, right? Yeah. With the hello, yeah, it's for you. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she's just like, God, why does she even put up with Ordell? Well, because right. he's so what does he do for? Well, does, he, he, does he set her up? Yeah, he set her up. I mean, so that's why. Well, like, that, that that there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so at, things get complicated, is what I wrote next, because this is what has to. You have to have this happen in a film noir where there's a heist, like. Is, is that the movie? Where, hold on. Is this the scene where they were watching the Rudger Hauer movie? Yeah, he's like, the Rudger, Rudger Hauer? And I just look, read the paper. He <laughs> <laughs> answer with the paper. Like, what movie is this? But anyway, go on. Um, and it's really not that. It's just what we talk about. No Simone. Simone will not be the second girl. Right. Can you get a second girl? Right. Yeah. She ends up being yeah. Melanie. Right. Last minute replacement. Which, yeah. Which, what's interesting is like, normally, and it, I, well, no, it is, it is a pretty much typical of it. Anytime things get complicated, like, well, it'll be okay because we'll do this. Okay. All right. Everyone regret- regretfully goes with it, even though, like, they know it could potentially fuck them up. What's fascinating about this movie is, like, it doesn't really go into that. Nothing, nothing ever really seems like it's There's terribly no fucked up. Yeah. That's the one interesting thing about because inevitably, like, if with a noir or with a heist, something goes bad, mm-hmm. really bad. To where, like, the, the main character or, you know, uh, in this case, supporting characters Some are killed. Innocents or, are killed. Right. Something yeah. like that. But we don't get that feeling because Melanie's been an established member of this group anyway. It's not like, uh, here's Charlie. Right. And then, like, I'm sorry, I just looked at you and you're right there. This guy just comes you're out. in the movie. Yeah, buddy. Good Hi, it's me. How are you? Not, you're not vouching. Uh, no one's vouching. Yeah. Oh, no one's vouching for you. No one's. If you're in the food court and you're just. <laughs> oh. Well, I was living in... No, you were too young to be living in L.A. at this time. Oh, I was only like 10 years old. Oh, yeah, you would have been fine. 
So this this is the last hour of the movie, the exchange, the real deal, the final true run of this. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple interesting pieces of this. Now this where uh, Jackie and Max talk about the No Simone thing. They also talk about how there's going to be an extra fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where it starts to get a little confusing for me. Like what? I, I'm not 100% sure the way this was supposed to go because there's a scene where Jackie explains it to Ardell and he and it makes sense to him and I'm like wait what? Like it, it, it there's it's so and what doesn't help is that you're not 100% sure which side Jackie's playing. Right. I don't know if it's like that for you guys. No, no, I, I have I, a hard time following this. No, I I, I what about? even watching it this past time I was like I'm not convinced <clears throat> that she's not going to screw everybody. Yeah, herself here, mm-hmm. and that Robert Forrester ends up taking the fall. What were you gonna say? Well, I mean, she she tells the cops that all right, well, things have changed. We're not bringing the five hundred grand. He's getting nervous. We're only doing fifty, which great because then that sets off where okay, I have money to steal. They're not gonna be looking for five hundred grand. They're only gonna be looking for fifty. Right. So then she tells Ordell. That I'm bringing all of it. It's all going to be in that bag. First of all, five hundred thousand dollars in a fucking Jesus. paper bag. I know. I know. Um, See, and that's another thing. It, and then she's going to pass this bag off to this person, and this person's going to get a bag like uh, in the women's dr- in the women's dressing room. It, it's just, it's a lot of juggling. Yeah, to the because I don't think the cops know about the dressing room. Right? No, they don't. They no. think it's still going to be just like the trial run. So mm-hmm. from their point of view, everything is exactly how the trial run. Also, where the what fuck, fuck are they? They're like they're like at the other end of the mall. But she brings that up because when things when she goes to play like she got robbed, she's like if they're getting on to her later on. She's in their office like she's like you weren't there. Yeah, uh, I tried to find you. You weren't there. Uh-huh. Why were they so far away? Yeah. What if something went wrong? What was she thinking was going to happen to her when cops go after decoy and there's nothing there? Right. I mean, you're taking an awful chance because you have no idea when they're going to nab them. They could nab them right away. Yeah, the cops could screw you over. Right. Get everybody. Right. Look great. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um I, I just get lost here. Well, I really I, do. No, I think the way Jay, I think the way you broke it down makes is the easiest to digest for it because the movie does make it a bit complicated to digest. Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm not terribly brilliant when it comes to these movies. I'm sometimes not even. I have to. I really have to slow down. My, like, treat me like I'm a dummy sometimes. Because mm-hmm. usually right? with heist movies, the whole movie's like this. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> with or, this movie, it's just the last third. Or Remember? then you watch it, or you watch the heist things go off, and then after the heist is the breakdown. Like, like Ocean's Eleven, movie. yeah. Ocean's this, is, this is what happened, right? This is how we did it, mm-hmm. right? Inside this one's man. like you're not getting right. that. Inside, Inside same thing, yeah. right, right, right. You're not getting that. You're just getting right. This is what. But, I'm o- but the reason I'm okay with it, with not quite understanding it, is because I like these characters oh, so sure. much. Do you get the fifty grand now, though? Do you see where why it makes not sense? exact? I, I get that they're not going to be looking for what. You take two bags, right? Right. The bag that bags. they're expecting, like the bag that they're the going to go The bag that the ATF is expecting. Yes. Is, a fi- is the 50, 50 grand bag. 50 grand bag. Okay. So then that way, the bag they that they have no the idea thousand, Or the 500,000. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's two bags, but they only know of one. Right. right. Who's getting the 50 bag? That's going to be the... Well, that was supposed to be the ATF. We're supposed to get the 50 bag. Right. No, no, no. Who's the decoy to get the 50 bag? At first, it was supposed... It's going to be Melanie... 
Well, no, the decoy was going to be Crackhead Sharonda. Right. Uh-huh. She was going to be the decoy to get the 50 back. Right. But they were going to swap out the 500. Like, the, he didn't know, or Dale didn't know that there was a 50 grand. He just thinks 500,000 is coming his way. Right. So when she splits it up, which I don't understand why she does that anyway. In the dressing room? She, she splits, she still goes ahead and puts 50 grand or 40 grand in one bag. Well, Ordell thinks it's because it's a fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which that makes sense, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like that's something Jackie would do. Like not really, especially if she's sure. planning on calling him later. Right. You know, it, it's it's a little muddled. But um but yeah, it ends up being instead of crackhead, it ends up being Melanie, Melanie. because maybe this was the whole uh, it may not be exactly spelled out for us, but mm-hmm. It's there. The thing with her and Lewis doing their own thing, mm-hmm. possibly. Which, yeah, we have to break that down. Because right. we don't know Lewis is with her. Right. We only see Melanie's feet. Right. So right. we're like, oh. And then she puts a little, like, boy, this was smart. She Because this part I understood. She puts a little bit of money on top. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, and this is for you. And goes, what did Ordell ever do for us anyway? Right. And it's like, oh, well, thank you. Which we later see she puts... In here, which I mean, she must have had amazing foresight that Melanie would fucking get killed, yeah, because they, sure. they find the money on her, mm-hmm. right? Because so, they're Mark Bills. That's the other Mark, thing. Mark Michael Keaton does. Yeah. I love that scene where she's she's tempting or thinking she's tempting yeah. him. And he that's does. a really clever scene mm-hmm. because he never turns the recorder off, right. which is a detail that they don't even hint at. But you have to assume that he never turns it off. And he's like, no, and he's, he's basically saying he wouldn't do it, but you don't really know. You don't really know if he wouldn't do it. This is the again. This is we talked about earlier. This third act here with the the mall is the most Tarantino oh, very. edited scene in the movie because it's it's, it's very it's, nonlinear. It keeps going back. I always forget how much he goes back and shows different angles. Let's break it down further. So she goes into this um, this women's apartment. She picks out a suit, a badass looking suit. I love it. Looks good mm-hmm. on her too. Comes out with it. Um, she goes back in. The exchange happens in the dressing room with Melanie. Right. She comes out. She sees Robert Forrester. He's uh, hanging out. He's just hanging out but, in there. Yeah, but you don't see him yet. Right. She starts that panic, right. which as the viewer, you're like, okay, now is she panicking because yeah, why Max, is she panicking? Max isn't yeah. there to go in and get the money. Like, she's just leaving 500 right. grand in a bag under a beach towel. Which he says to the person, hey, somebody left their bag mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. And that's when she runs out of the mall or runs out of the shop. Now, does the ATF even know anything about the fact that they were in that store, no. in that dressing room? Because he starts bitching at her. You didn't tell me you were going to go shopping. And then she says, I was early. So I just went, I had my eye on this. It suit. just makes me wonder why they're so fucking far away. Why wouldn't they be keeping all tabs on her if she's under suspicion? No, exactly. They, they, they most because likely would. That be. brings up my biggest problem in the movie later on. See, that's why though I have that. That's why part of me thinks that somebody is somewhere on the take because you don't want to have that many people in on it that may have want to get their hands on mm-hmm. you know, the money or something. That's where it, again it's a gray area with it and stuff. But when she, she comes, comes out, out of there, she can't Keaton, find like, them. There are a bunch of dudes with Keaton though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's oh a yeah, lot we see there's like, a whole team. Yeah, there is a whole team of them. So yeah, and she starts screaming his name because she can't find him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he pops out, and she's a long way away. Like, this camera has followed her for probably, like, two or three, like, blocks, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, though, they're nowhere near the food court. Nowhere that near would, the food court. But so that would make sense because they were maybe over ready to watch the food court, not at this store that she went into. But, I'm with but you, wouldn't though, they get suspicious? Like, that's my thing, too, is, okay, this is going to happen. They know what time it's going to be, mm-hmm. and it's that time, and nobody's at the food court. 
It just which also like if if wherever they're going from the food court over there, a panic would have probably started. Right. That's <laughs> why I don't understand. People. They didn't. They didn't start panicking until she started screaming for right. Nicolette. Right. And just right. All right. So she ends up. Um, she ends up going with them, and that's we see we. Okay, that's the scene from basically her point of view. Now we get it retold from Max Cherry. We'll do the Max Cherry. I well, think Max Cherry goes first. No, it's, it's or it De Niro. is. I'm sorry. Okay, so we got to do De Niro. Right. right. Yeah, which is the whole him trying to get her out of the bathroom. Right. He's, he's in a different mode. He's in a different is, mode, and so is she. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's in a very standoffish mode. I think it's because he's not paying any attention to her. Yeah, and Ordell's like, <laughs> Jackson's great on the phone. Here. Oh, I love this. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's my money. Yeah. Go get her ass and get down to the mall. He just tells her, and then so she just awesome. goes, fuck you, and he just goes in the room. Yeah, who knows what he did when he got in there. But, yeah, so they have to go get the money together, and she is the epitome of nagging. Yeah. Yeah, just constantly grating on him. And it's very interesting. I love them, her wanting to leave right. and him trying to keep her there. So it's fascinating. De Niro really doesn't need to go in there. He could just be in the fucking car. Not really. Yeah, yeah, just be in the Because it'd be a little less conspicuous, too. Yeah, but he wants... Why does he go in Which there? makes you wonder, like, are they... Are they, they really going to go together? Like, take the money together? That's that's the thing, is maybe that's why. And, and I think Melanie... Because just based on Lewis's reaction, she goes into the dressing room too soon. Because she makes a beeline for the dressing room. Right. And, and Lewis is just, just, damn it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think there's a lot going on in this movie that isn't being told to us. Right. You know, some stuff we just have to assume. And I think that might have been the original plan. Right. But when she comes out, they're, or well, just well, before, before she heads out. That's when he looks over and sees... He sees Max Cherry. Max Cherry's there, too. And, and I actually forgot that they had seen each other earlier. Me, too. Yeah. I had, I had I, to. Which sucked, because I was like, oh. You know, but it was like... And I remember thinking... Did and he, he goes out of his Cherry? way to do that. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was weird, in a way. It was probably just a gut reaction, because they made eye contact. Yeah, because as we see earlier... Or, oh, we don't see exactly how he sees him uh, until... We see Max Cherry's point of view, right. which is just De Niro just looking over and, and seeing him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's been st- and because Cherry was the one looking at him first. Right. Yep. So right. that right. should have been a huge tip off. Sure. But he's so fucked up, so probably high, right, and, and, and just rattled with nerves because he is a nervous wreck. He talks about how sweaty he is. Yeah. And are you sweating? And he does this. Yeah. And just when they exit out of there, oh, it's a, it is oh. on this scene. I. I love this scene. I do. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, moments like this. He can't. <laughs> <laughs> I ever left a concert or anything like that. Uh, you, you can't find the car? Lewis. Oh. Yeah. It's grating. It's really grating. Yeah. And that, this is one of the things I like about the fact that this is probably Tarantino's most nonviolent movie. Yeah. Is that when the violence does come, it means something and it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's just, and De Niro just, would you just stop? Would you just shut up? Yeah. And don't say just, another word. Don't say another word. She says another word. Bang. She's Bang. basically killed off camera. He does it again. He shoots her again. Yeah, just to be sure. Chest. He shoots her in the head, shoots her in the chest. Well, he chest shoots her in the chest and the stomach. Chest oh, and chest stomach. and stomach. Yeah. Right. Head and, or sorry, chest and head was Beaumont. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like, it's very, like, yeah. shocking. Right. Like, Jesus Christ. And, and and then he kind of talks to himself, kind of pulls a jump yeah. on the plane as he walks away. Just... I told. I, I told need you. to do that. I need to do I, that. I told her. Yeah. 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 I thought he was gonna get in another car. 
Amanda I was like, well, Amanda would call it, and she's like, that car's not gonna start. Yeah, and and it almost shit, doesn't. I know, I know, and then it stalls. And he does has to start it's up like, again. You robbed banks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, he says that. It's yeah, like you a, robbed banks. You can't even find your car. Yeah, you don't. Do you remember where we parked? It, it, it's just ah, uh, it says a lot about his character. So he exits out. Then I, do we go? Do we follow him all the way to get to? Nope. Ordell? No. We go. You to, see the? Oh, because by the way, with Ordell, it's not. Yeah, where's he goes, where is he goes to the strip club. club? He goes to the strip club. Uh huh. And somehow, I, this is what's awesome. Somehow he loses the follow. Whoever's supposed yeah. to be following him. They don't explain how they did it. Yeah, because, like, he just because they talk about it later with yeah. Jackie. They you know, just, we lost him. How did you the lose back? him? But why didn't they have people covering the back? Like that's the, the, the that's one why, though, big flaw there, with this. There's got to be something going on that on the authorities' end. Exactly. The one big flaw in this movie, I think, is the incompetence of these agents. Oh, and but De Niro doesn't have a silencer on that gun. No, that no, goes off. he fires it in a in the parking, parking lot, lot of a mall, a mall. And, and nothing. Yeah. No, I mean, granted, as they say in Pacific Blue, it's just another day in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Tarantino, Jackie Brown, and Pacific Blue in the same podcast. Damn. There we go. It's Mario Lopez. <laughs> Triple H is a rapist. Hey, look, right. uh, Slider from uh, Top Gun. Why don't they just use cars? <laughs> I mean, I get that it's the whole gimmick, but you know, <laughs> get a new gimmick. So See now the battle go- royal. Yeah, so now we cut to the blue bike cops at the battle royal. We now cut to Max Cherry, mm-hmm. right? And we see Vincent or Winston. I'm sorry, Winston. Yep. We get to meet Winston finally. Yeah. Tiny Lister, yeah. who has a, a a tiny role. Like, uh-huh. uh, have you noticed that Tiny Lister and I noticed this for the first time. Tiny Lister and Chris Tucker have now been in three movies together. That's right. Fifth Element. Yeah. This and Friday. And only have <laughs> scenes together in Friday. Right. Like they don't share any screen time in the other two. Yeah. But yeah, finally get to meet Winston. Yeah, the, the who's man, so friendly, man Dingo. Know. Yeah, he kn- and he's the most. It's, so Lister does it because, like, Lister does. Let's, let's face really it. Well. Let's face it's it. Like, b- with between Friday and No Holds Barred, like you know, in in, in Fifth Element. Well, Fifth Element is a completely different character. He's, he's a player. He's a fucking president of the galaxy. What was cool but, was to see him just. He is a normal dude. He's just Brawled, a dude. He's just a just happens to be gigantic. He's, it's not Dark Knight. You know, right. I'm just the the only moral person on the fucking fucking prison. He's the only black guy that's even remotely visible. I just get the fuck out. Of here. <laughs> All right. So he tells him going to the movies, which I love. It's like, what are you going to see? Something good. Great line. It reminded me of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Something starts lots something of, good and something starts now. Yep. Lots of cream, lots of sugar. It, <laughs> sound, it was the same delivery. And I was like, that's good shit. That's great writing. Oh, which by the way, we didn't mention earlier in the in the thing. He's like, she's, he's like, I'm getting out of this business. She's like, what? When? Oh, I yeah. decided on Thursday. That was the, the night we picked met. me up. It's so cool. Right. We have, okay. I hate when we have to go back, but we yeah. have to go back because... That's great how he describes basically what his life is. He goes, yeah, I had to pick up this guy. I, I you know, had, I went to grab a new gun and my stun gun, went into his house and w- sat there for four hours. Smelling cat pee. Smelling cat pee. And I thought, I think I'm done. Yeah, it's just like, this is my life. Like, he's like, probably, what is he? He says he's 57, 57. in the movie. Holy shit. Can you imagine doing that at 56? 
you know, this is your life, this is your yeah, business. Man. And he just gets up and leaves. Yeah. So what did he do the first part of his life? Because I'd want to think he was a, def- a disgraced former cop. You think so? That's what I gra- that's what I gathered because yeah. he if is you, so smart yeah. about the way cops work and the way criminals work. Yeah. Because he would have if he's fifty six, been doing this for nineteen years, thirty seven. Right. That's a lot. I want to think that he, because um, I always thought he went along with Jackie's plan a little too easily, and I think it's because he's done this before, mm-hmm. and he gave it up to try to lead a normal life, yeah. and in the process, kind of lost a little bit of what made him him. I think he did. I think he has done it before. Just there is so well, much it's to the line character. he says at the end. Well, I'll wait till we get to that part. But okay. something yeah. he says there, I think, is establishes. It's, it, this really is one of the best performances in all of Tarantino films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. And one of the best written characters. Yeah. Because I like thinking of things that, that, that this character could have been. Because I had the same thought. Like, 19 years. Like, this guy had a life before he was doing this. What the mm-hmm. fuck was he doing? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can only think of disgraced police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, he ends up going to the movies... Doing it because he's obviously going to be working the job. So we see it from his point of view. We see the whole bit with De Niro. We see Bridget Fonda come out. We or we see mm-hmm. um, Pam Greer go in. We see Jackie go into the um, the dress room. We see everything as it, as it unfolds because he we're basically him. Like we're the audience. Well, he is not to go back again. But when Robert De Niro and Bridget Fonda, when we see their bit, they actually walk by Max Cherry. Yeah, and that's the only time you see him uh, until Robert De Niro makes eye contact with him, right. and it's like, oh. Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah. Back to Max Cherry. So then, after the Bridget Fonda exit with De Niro, it's ha- is hasty, and then we see the Pam Greer exit, which is hasty. He's, he's He knows that she told the lady there's a bag in there, and he just, yeah, I just always so calmly. Yeah. You know, cause which this, is weird. This, Do you think it's weird? No. Here's why I like it, I'll because typically with- in a movie like this, that guy, it's, 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 a, it's a little over the top. The guy's... Overselling that conflicted, you know, yeah. But Robert Forster oh knows how to do it. Just, I think my wife left a bag of towels in there. Yeah, I left a bag of towels in there. I'll be right back. <laughs> I've been in LA my whole life. Can't you did a whole fucking play with this accent, I so did. I know you I, can I do don't it. Quite remember how very to do well. it. Very well, dear. This has got to be a Family Guy bit somewhere. Robert Forster and Dennis Farina are like, I'm more Chicago <laughs> than you. No, I'm Dan Aykroyd. I'm more <laughs> Chicago than both of you. Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, but then as he walks out, like, it's great because he just walks. And, like, I guess part of the like, me and the audience, all of us in the audience are looking at, like, something's got to happen, right? Something's got to right. happen, goes in there, right? He opens the and door. And it makes you nervous. Yeah. Then we might gonna... sit down. Like, he pulls everything out. The money's there. And he, he actually checks it. That's, all right. <laughs> I'm waiting. Well, or fuck it. It all makes sense. I think he's... This is where I'm going back. I think it, this is where he's checking to make sure she hasn't played him. He's done this before. Because at the end... You're right. You think that's takes, why he checks the money? That's why he checks the money. Uh, to make sure it's all there, number one. Right. And then at the end, she's like, you only took 50, 10%. That's my fee. That's my fee. It's, it reminds me of payback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 100, 100, was it 100,000? You could ask for whatever you want. It's, it's the principle of the thing. Yeah. I could. I, that that way he's, he's a bail bondsman. That would cost one shoe. I like. 
that's one thing about Tarantino movies and why Pulp Fiction, one of the reasons I think it works so well. Honor among low lives. Yeah. The Bruin Bruce Willis goes back for Ving Rhames. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Honor among thieves. Yeah. Like, and and I, th- I don't think anybody does it quite like Tarantino does. Right. That the, even these guys have a moral code. Because that is what makes these movies work. In pretty much every single character, whatever they are, coolest motherfucker on the planet. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Until you see the next Tarantino movie and you're like, well, that ah, shit. To me, the, another one. Max Cherry is probably the coolest because he's so, unlike everyone else, he's so fucking calm. Yeah. And he's not really a badass. No. You know, like, you know, not even a reluctant badass. Right. He doesn't run he's his just mouth. He's kind of there. Like, my favorite, up until watching this, I mean, like, he's up there. Jules. Is still to me the quintessential. Yeah, absolutely, but it, but that's the he's the polar opposite. Where Jules is constantly running his mouth and blah 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 and and this and this guy we're like I don't need to have a wallet that says bad motherfucker on it. I just I'm gonna play it off. Right. Just that scene in the car that's coming up. Right. If I go in there and that big you know what or anyone else is in there, you're the first one shot in the head. Okay. God yeah. damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I like how. I almost said it. I was cool. I was like, don't say I it. I like how similar and yet different Ordell is from Jules Winfield. Mm-hmm. Because there Jules Winfield is arguably the coolest character that Tarantino ever came up with. But Ordell has his own fucking thing going on. I, I actually find Ordell to be quite the sociopath oh, yeah, as compared because Jules Winfield has that moment at the end of Pulp Fiction. Right. You know, when he's when he wants to quit. Yeah, like mm, uh, that's that might be another podcast. Oh, I mean, th- 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 I fiction. think they're the same character up to that point where Brett or whoever the guy who comes, who's the guy who comes out of the bathroom and shoots and misses him completely. <laughs> what is his? I forget. His oh name. yeah, Mar- no, it's not Marvin because Marvin was the guy that got shot in the face. I think it's Brett. Well, Brett's the, Brett no, is Brett Frank, was the Frank Whaley. Frank Whaley. Yeah, Brett's the guy with the girlfriend. Whoever that guy is who comes out, that's the moment where Jules, like the Jules character, that's takes that's that a, a moment. That's his turn. Mm-hmm. Where I think that's fate. Where mm-hmm. I think Odell would be like, all right, it's just not the day. Do you see why it's? It doesn't matter what movie Tarantino would have done after Pulp Fiction, because Pulp Fiction is such a fucking landmark film. Yeah, uh, and. Oh, mm. I feel bad for Jackie Brown. I know. I do. So, let's hash it up. Let's. Um, all right. So, she, well, there's uh, still more. I'm sorry, oh no! Oh, it up. oh yeah. yeah. He ends there's up. Um, Robert Cherry. Mercer gets in the car, or Mac Cherry gets in the car, and Abe. Oh, no, no, hold on. Before he gets in the car, he gets to the car and then stops and then looks at the door, and it's that easy. It's that easy. It wasn't that easy. Last time I, I did this, sure, sure. Like, like, there's so many little moments like that that just work. If he had just gotten in the car, that's one thing. But the fact that he stopped, looked, and then we actually see the door, and everyone's just going about their business. Like right. two people come out. Two people come out. Nope, no big deal. And he just kind of smiles and gets in the car. Oh. So now we got to let's wrap up these threads. So first we have Lewis in the van. Okay, we got to get to that. He picks up Bordell. <laughs> right. And where's Melanie? Which and I love. Lewis still thinks he has all the money. How how much do you love scenes where you know one character has done something catastrophic, the other character doesn't. You can't know. wait until they figure it exactly. out. Exactly, yeah. you're just waiting. And you want to see the reaction. Yes, and the or, the reaction that Ordell has isn't what I was expecting. No. Because, well, I guess you did what you had to do. <laughs> I just. Well, they shot are, her. Why didn't you just punch her in the face? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah, you, yeah, just, you know, yeah. you just lose, lose, shut up. Yeah. Like, 
Like, this is the most De Niro I think that it gets. Yeah, like, with him just, well, you know, she was a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> and then the pullover. The pull, yeah, pullover. This is this might be, with the exception of the breakfast scene, my favorite of the dialogue scenes, where they try to, fi- they're basically playing the audience, trying to figure out all the possibilities of what happened. And Ordell, I love how Tarantino wrote this, because Ordell almost gets it right. He comes very close to the way that Jackie Brown had actually worked it out. Right. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he misses one crucial detail. But he pretty much gets it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's $40,000 in a bunch of books. Yeah. You know, she gave me this. Well, what if there was another guy? Oh, Oh well, I now really, that you mention him, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I didn't think I, didn't I don't know. And, and it takes him forever to say Max Cherry, and it's because he's baked. It's the only reason why he was just, yeah. Oh, there was this Max Cherry. Max Cherry was there. Sure, right. What? <laughs> you Max Cherry. Think that Max Cherry. And like, what's I didn't cool think is like anything at this moment, it. Max Cherry. Just the way that Ordell seems to put him in this light is he's like the lead in a series of detective novels. You know what I mean? Like, Max Cherry's name is known on the street. And then it's like, oh. Maybe, well, or, or maybe it. it's also established that Ordell knew Max Cherry when he was dirty. That's why he kept going to him. Maybe. Possibly. Oh, my God. Because yeah. so they never really have a formal introduction. No. Not really. Even though he says, I need your name. Uh, and, and I and that's why I think it's almost deliberate that he does the ashing. Like he comes in there, he knows that guy doesn't smoke anymore, so that guy's not going to have an ash. It's true, because he, he quit three he quit. years ago. Yep. He says he. Oh my oh, god, dude! We just, just broke this shit. Yeah, yeah. that's why he deliberately. I missed that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. He just doesn't he just drink now? Is that is yeah. that what he, he said? Just, he definitely just drink. We know he drinks. We see him do it. So yeah, he. I think he says he just drinks. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's a rich movie. Yo, it's rich. Robust. <laughs> <Bust. laughs> Voluptuous. But as it, it, it did you do you see it coming? No. Is this and, I, I, and you know what? I've seen this movie prior to last night when I watched it, or two nights ago. I've probably seen it three times before that. And I still didn't remember if he shot and killed Lewis. But mm. when that shot goes off, it was so fucking loud, and the blood spatter, I, I jumped out of my seat. Because like, you don't even see the gun. You just see his arm. Right. And from behind. I love the amount of time he, that there is where he's like this. Yeah. Oh, All the, the tension, I, it's like that. That that took so long. That takes fifteen seconds where he just does this, and I love that Tarantino let him take fifteen seconds to sit there like this with his hand on the bridge of his nose, thinking. Oh, what's good is it calls back to where he you gotta. This is what I'm gonna have to do when he's talking about killing Beaumont. Right, one hundred percent. And that's probably I think this I think that moment is when he made up his mind. That he, he can't leave this loose thread, and he just and and this is when we get this great line because he knows now because if if she's dead or if Melly's dead that somehow it could be it could be traced back yeah so then you get the, that great line that it's just it's just one line but I think it says so much about the Lewis character is what happened to you mm-hmm. yeah you know, and and Lewis is just yeah drugs you know. <laughs> And bang. And then he does it again? Like, yeah. like uh, how does he, he do close. it the second time? He gets up close in the chest. Yeah. Yeah. He, just he shoots him just like she, he, shot he shot her. Melanie. It's almost the exact same. And the this is all chest. like, and what's great is, as you can tell with Hateful Eight, um, and definitely with Django, he is a huge Sergio Leone fan. Yes. He loves those His favorite movies. movie is... Um, and, Good, bad, and the ugly. And when you break down like just the violence in those movies, what typically happens is there is a gigantic amount of anticipation. 
a buildup that is almost like it's excruciating how long it is before somebody gets shot. And then what happens then after the, the actual violence is like a second, two brief. seconds. Yeah, it's brief. It's sudden. All about it's sudden. I love how then he kind of voices that he's upset that he killed Melanie. Because he's getting out and he's like, after he says, what happened to you, man? He goes, and he gets out and he goes, she was beautiful. Yeah. Blonde head circle while he's getting out of the car. Uh-huh. He just leaves. She out. didn't have to die, not at all. So it's it's definitely interesting at this point now, though, because in the next thing we find out that obviously the cops have lost Ordell. So now this is the only point in time where Pam Greer is really afraid mm-hmm. because now <laughs> Ordell didn't crying. get yeah because Ordell didn't want he was not get caught he didn't get caught. So now right. like this this is the only moment and and I like and again I like it because typically now like this as we talk about film noir where something messes up this is where it all goes completely bad. She holds it together as best she can. Obviously, like, like you said, she starts to cry a little bit about it, but it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. I like Keaton, Keaton here, too. Keaton is so good. This is the, the most way he Keaton. moves around this yeah. room. I like when he... How does he do it? He, he just sits. sits on the, the top of the chair. Yeah. Keaton makes a lot of interesting choices. This is the most Keaton that we get. Yeah, he grabs his crotch a lot. And I'm not just... Because you're talking about the interesting choice. He's getting up. He's adjusting himself an awful lot when he's walking around. I don't, I don't think Nicolette is a character who is used to being bamboozled. Right. Or or not having things go his way, mm-hmm. uh, especially by a woman, maybe even a black woman. Right. You know, like like he's probably just set on fire. And this is really interesting because this is where I think my biggest um, gripe with the movie comes from. Would they not check all security cameras from the mall if they were so thorough? Right like, and wanting right. to find out like like uh, we need to look at these cameras we need to look at the, you know to find out exactly think, how much I want to find out how this went down well I want to see what you did they could have but that's the thing though is it, it all everything makes sense for her point of view there's the security camera would be her going into the dressing room right. there's the money she said Melanie came and took it from her well, she so did. you see her come in and leave once they see that they're not going to keep watching the footage from that there's no cameras in the dressing room. But they're not going to watch the footage of Max Cherry going. You don't back think there. so? No. You don't think the, the cops? Because all they have to do is see Max Cherry, but and they can they make know? the connection. What do they have? Beaumont. Oh, he was the bail bondsman. Or he was the bail bondsman for Beaumont. That's a big enough lead to do something with. Mm-hmm. Pappas would be all over this shit. <laughs> <laughs> because that's a, I, I. I just find it. I just find it hard I, to believe. I, the 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 only way out of that is the fact that this is happening within let's say an hour of what actually happened. If if that interrogation with her is taking place like days later, where they've had time to really mm-hmm. go through everything, I could see them going making the connection between Max Cherry and Beaumont. Sure, sure. And and if they're looking at all security cameras, they will see Max Cherry. Sure. By accident, long before he ever went in there, mm-hmm. and see him just hanging around looking. Like it's, I find this borderline unbelievable. The only other, the only other thing then is, I'm not sure like how good security was in malls at this time period. Nowadays, you don't think they had cameras? Oh, they had shoplifting. Oh, they got cameras. <coughs> yeah, but they won't be there at a dressing room. Well, they, they won't be in the dressing room. Right. But all you need is to see somebody go in the dressing room. Max Cherry walked into a woman's dressing room. Like you see, see what, I, I can or, see. why don't they question people in the mall? Like employees. Oh, you went shopping. Oh, well, I think you went, went to that store. Yeah, but that see this see, this takes a while. They know she went shopping because the end of the movie is three days later. 
So that's still that's not enough time to get all this stuff together. For basically an hour and a half block of time <coughs> where they know that this okay, this is when it starts, this is when it ends. They can't find time in three days to go through all the security footage, even on fast forward. Why would they though? Why wouldn't they? I don't know if somebody would be able to f- not just I does, does everyone know what Max Cherry looks like? Would they just know that that's him? Like, unless, like, you know, in the backstory that we've kind of, you know, formulated, which is credible, it's no doubt about it, that people might know who he is, but without... That's an interesting point. They may not know who They've he never is. met him? Yeah. They don't... Been. Even if Beaumont, even on the records that it was his bail bonds uh, company that got him out, sure, they wouldn't necessarily know what he looked like. Right. Right. They wouldn't care. And the thing that's is... That's the they, only out. They've also actually. got Ordell. They don't care. He got his man. Not convicted, but he got it. right. But now, like, is I, do we learn also in this interrogation about uh, Louis, we learn about Lewis being dead? That yeah, they found learn about Lewis being Melanie dead. being dead. Yeah, Melanie, Melanie being dead because that's what gets Jackie off is the money that she gave Melanie at the very top of the pile oh, because they found the marked bills under her, so they know that that deal, which is to their knowledge the only deal that happened, right, is is the one that went off. Right. So, yeah, and that's what's amazing to me, for coincidence purposes, coincidental. If she hadn't been killed, would Jackie Brown have been arrested? Because well, they the found bag, her with the money. Well, De Niro took, because De Niro took the bag. Right, but they found her with the money. Right, so suppose she did take the money. Suppose she did take the money, mm-hmm. got in the car, and left, and everything went off without a hitch. I mean, were they going to track her down down the Cause road? Because the, the crazy thing is, the cops like are nowhere near like to pick. Like they're not even around to follow her to. Pick yeah. Her. Oh, I know. They're uh, not even mm-hmm. around to follow her out of the parking lot if they actually did get in without her getting. When were they going to start following her? Yeah. It's the, 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 the. This is a problem. Well, I, remember they were waiting though in the food court. Let's also think in in this type of movie. I think the thing we keep coming back to is. There's an incompetency with the authorities, and I think that's almost deliberate. This is in a almost, way. like there's a difference between incompetence and authority with a movie like not not to put this movie down because I think it's a better movie, but Die Hard. Right. There is a real incompetence going on there. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's an action movie. You know, right. like this is like a smart like thriller, like heist movie. But that's where he's saying is the incompetence is purposeful, not just lazy writing, but there's just someone. Just I think in Tarantino's mind, it's still always these guys are the ones that are outsmarting everybody. Even though, like, it's not really they're outsmarting them; it's just the fact that they're it's not that capable. Or they missed it. They missed a detail. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I just it's. I know when you. I, this is my favorite sequence in the whole movie, and yet I have problems. With well, it. what was that that you called the? Is it the MacGuffin? The sure. little clue that comes out of nowhere. Or well, MacGuffin's a. Well, it's a plot, plot device. Plot device or a clue. But just like these Tarantino authorities are just the cops that don't get their MacGuffin. That one little piece that just puts everything together. Right. Right. That one little bit. That's Except now, though, like, as, and even Michael Keaton, like, his line to her at the end is like, Oh, God, Jackie. I yeah. wish you didn't do I hope you didn't do something stupid. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's not me. Because he knows. Yeah. He know. I, I want to believe he knows. He just can't prove it. Right. Because he makes a point about talking about evidence. Mm-hmm. He goes, I don't have any evidence to put you away. Right. Does something like that. 
So when Damn. they, when they um, all right, so now this is where it's it's funny enough. This is where I feel like Wardell's is most sinister. That call he makes to Robert Ford, Shit, the back of the head shot. Is, mm-hmm. I don't know what it's supposed to mean or entail. Well, it's but like it's, the big range shot from Pulp Fiction. That's way, different. Sort of. There's something about the back of his head that is just kind of unnerving. Oh yeah, yeah. The, but there's something about. Um, Ordell, like, because he's not just sitting down, he's leaning back. Yeah. And he looks relaxed. You know, like he's got the control. His hair's down. His hair's down. Mm hmm. But in typical cherry fashion, he doesn't panic over the phone because he's calling him just about the 10 grand. I'll mm-hmm. give you the 10 grand because of the the bond for uh, Beaumont mm-hmm. and for Jackie. He's going to give him the money mm-hmm. back since it's the. She's, they signed the no yeah. no charge or something. This No file is what we right. call They signed the right. no file. So he's just playing off like I owe you 10 grand. Right. But, and, but Ordell's like, hell no. No you, no, you know what you're doing. You're playing me. Right. Yeah. And that. That leads to that fantastic scene with them in the car. Right. This so, just tension-filled. And Robert Forster just plays it straight. Well, because let's they first um, – where is he? Is he first – they they first see each other – they see each other at the office, right, at his place. Or no, 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 because that's where, that's where Jack is. Where does he pick him up? Where do he they goes to – At Sharonda's house. house. He goes to Sharonda's house. And Sharonda, living in repugnant shit. Right, right. <laughs> I love it. Like, oh, she she can't understand nothing. No, that's fine. Yeah, she's just she's cracked out on the fucking ugly country ass bumpkin. And I love that he comes in like I mean, just Max Cherry. First of all, I get the line. So are we banging on the door? Like, he re- police. He really took a chance. Yeah, just on, goes. On. That's where he's supposed to take the ten grand. That's right. Okay, he doesn't mm-hmm. take it to where Sharon is at. That's where Odell will be at. So he gives it to him because he has Winston to go find. Him. And he tells him that. Right. Winston's the one who tracks him down. Right. How'd you find me? He's a Winston. Well, how did Winston know? That's what, what he does. does. Finds people who don't want to be found. Yes. He's the wolf. Like, what's funny he's is, like, he is the wolf. Yeah. Hello. There's, like a, there's like a cult of wolves. The wolf They're is an wolves. entity. He's yeah. not an actual person. <laughs> it's just like, today I'll form of a giant black man. I just he, would love to see that movie with Harvey Keitel and Zeus. <laughs> 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 lots Shit. of cream, lots of sugar. <laughs> well, uh, he, he says that Jackie had a reason uh, for... Not giving him all the money. Didn't trust Melanie. Didn't trust, yeah, didn't trust Melanie. And it, I mean, it convinces Ordell. Yeah, it's a little bit. pretty fast A little thinking. bit. En- enough. It's, it convinces it's, him enough. It's fast thinking on, on Cherry's part. He, did you put yourself in Cherry's shoes during this scene? Because I did. I don't know if I could have answered as well as he did. I'll tell you, that car, the the, the most menacing monologue delivered to it, because he says it, it. He doesn't raise it. It's not the Samuel Jackson typical. No, like, he's blow yelling, blowing it up, or he, it up. Yeah, he just he just says like, you know, you'll be the first motherfucker to get shot. Right, yeah, right in the head. And he just yeah. Now I, I do like. It's a great little spin on a line that your parents used to say. Is just if there's anything you want to tell me, you tell yeah. me now. Yeah, and anything just you like. Say to me? That just, like, just... And we, mm. get, uh, we get a little tease, because we see Jackie in the office, and she's... Yeah, she's... So we're wondering sorry, if that's... She's not drawing that gun fast enough. No. no. It's taking too long. So we're wondering if time. that's going to factor in here. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about the ATF. I, I always do. I Especially because she called... As soon as she goes off the phone with Ordell, because he says, because oh, he says, let's go to my office, call her. If that's great, pick, too. If she doesn't pick because up... He's smart, mm-hmm. but he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if she's not, if she doesn't pick up the phone, yeah, just oh man. As soon as she hangs up, you see her start dialing another number. It's like okay, 
Right. That's right. See, that's what's cool. That's I completely it. forgot about it. That's what was neat in the time. I completely didn't like. I, I didn't put it together at the time when I was watching it. But she, the, she needs to do this, right? Right. Like to get off one hundred one hundred percent. Like right. she's already off, but they could still possibly put something together. Right. I almost oh, so they go when they um, when they walk in because. Uh, they go into the bat. It's it's just awesome because it's completely dark. You're just you know you, we've seen where Jackie is. We're just waiting until they get to that spot. When she gets in there, again, it's the buildup. It's this intense buildup with the and, monologue. And it's anticlimactic as hell. He's got a gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. which he did have a gun, but he wasn't holding a gun. Right. But I guess it doesn't matter if he actually had a gun. Well, right? he kicks it. What does he I, kick out? I think. I think he had the I, gun in his hand. I think it's. Right. I the way I looked at it because I was like. Because obviously, all right, so Ordell gets shot. He's dead. Um, and I love their little comeback. It's like, how did you know he's here? Winston, you weren't going to – like, they do the yeah. same thing they with do him. the same bit. But he didn't quite say the line that I no. wanted him to, which mm-hmm. was – like, he finds people. It's what I do. It's like, what I do. That's what I want. His hand, I yeah, think. but he doesn't say that. I was. Uh, I think Jackie did that on purpose. She wanted him to get killed, not right. arrested. Because I think she thought if he is alive – he gets then, any closer – because well, he'll start talking alive, about five hundred grand. Oh, he could, he, he could, he could have, could have rat her out immediately. Right, right, right. Well, he did say, "I'm going to get you with accessory." Right. Yeah. He will. Like, and he said, "We will go hand in hand up to up, wherever." We'll go upstate. Yeah. Hand in hand, and then because that's where the thing is when he's talking to Max on the phone when he calls about ten grand, and then he says, "Why'd you come?" Because he he says, "I didn't trust her," and he goes, um, "Bullshit." And he goes, "Well, I guess that whole thing about being charged with accessory scared her." Because I don't, I've known Jackie for years. I ain't never seen her scared. Right. That, right. Mind, so, I think it's also interesting because in the end, the ATF they, they killed Ordell, but I don't think that's what they really wanted to. They, they, no, they were trying to arrest him. They need to get him because it's always. I think they want to get, him get him to a get guy that to get guy. a bigger guy. He wants right. that guy in Mexico. So it, it for yeah the, the guy in Mexico that we never well, Mr. see Mr. Walker Mr. Walker. So that's why it's it, obviously with him being dead, it's it's good for our our characters. But we know still for Keaton and those guys, like it can't Not quite what they want, right? But it sews everything up, and then we go to three days later, then mm-hmm. right, and that's where she rolls up, and I, I don't even know what kind of, kind of car it's, it's she's got. Ordell's car. It is Ordell's car. Mm-hmm. And Max Cherry points that out. You know, because she's like, well, the registration that, was, in the, just, was in the glove box. I knew that. I just fucking. Yeah. I love the thing. He's, she's like, you ever borrowed a car from someone? Not while they're dead. <laughs> Not while they're dead. Uh, this is such an interesting little scene. Uh, I find this really bittersweet. It's sad because I wanted. To, I wanted to. I want to talk about this scene. I want to know what you guys think about what Max Cherry's decision here. Okay. All right. So let's quickly break it down. Like they have a moment. She talks. About, I'm going to Madrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's going to go to Spain. Madrid or Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. No, she says. Did she say Barcelona? First? No, he says it. He said because she goes, "I'm going to Spain." He goes, "Madrid or Barcelona?" Like and she says, "Where she goes, they don't eat dinner till midnight." Yeah, yeah. That's a, but that's the thing. She, first thing she says, "I didn't use you." I don't think you did. I don't think that's that, where it, it comes never, back to that. Yeah. He's he's done this. This is okay for him. Mm-hmm. And um, he took ten percent. They talk about the ten percent, right? Which right. is fifty thousand. She mm-hmm. asked him to come with him. She right. asked more money. Too. She asked him to come with her. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And. Like I said, it's so sad because he was talking about leaving the bail bonds business. Right. But it's very clear, at least to me, that he's not leaving right. the bail bonds business because she, she says to him, you have a business to run. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, but it. then he tells the person who's calling him, he, he goes, can you please oh, excuse me? God, I hate like that. in 30 minutes. 
And what? he can't, but he, because he's going to stop her from leaving. But she she leaves before he can, and they oh. kiss, by the way. Right. But she's very nice. It's a, it's a, it's a sweet kiss. Yeah. Like, it's not overdone or anything. It's right. just a nice little, oh. And, but before he can hang up the phone and go out and get her, she leaves. And, and he just kind of stands there alone and walks back to his office. Do you think he's too afraid yes, to leave his life? No, I think he's scared that he could... I still think he's worried he could get duped. Mm-hmm. I still because think... Because he's been duped before, yes, possibly? Yeah. Absolutely. I still... Because especially... Imagine you go international, man, and somebody fucks you. Yeah. Man, you're in a stranger in a strange land. Do you yeah. think? Do you think there's a... To go back to this is a movie about aging and getting older and missed opportunities. It's 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 like that line from uh, Rocky Balboa. Uh, if you live in a place long enough, you become the place. How about this? Uh, yes, you uh, think that that plays a part in it? How about take it a step for I fifteen thousand bail bonds, nineteen yep. years. This guy knows that somebody's gonna be following that money. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And well, that that lead, that's a good point. Um, the the final shot of the movie is Jackie in the car singing 110th Street. Yes, yeah, singing across 110th Street, and it goes on for about a minute, and she starts crying. Yeah, to, like towards the end of it. Well, why do you think she's crying? Because I think, I think it's 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 a max. Maybe, maybe I think that's that factors in. I think it's also fear. Like she herself, she's is on the run for the rest of her life. Right. It's like the end of the graduate. She's alone. Like, look at the end of the graduate for a sec. He, he, he breaks up the wedding. The the guy gets with the girl. It's great. And they're on that bus. And then, like, for whatever reason, Mike Nichols lets the camera run. And their expressions go from, yeah, it's like. It's oh really God. it's really clever. Because usually a movie ends right when you get the girl. Yeah. But he decided to show us it's like, an oh extra God. minute. What, what what do we do now? What the fuck do we make rumor has it. That's what. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, I, uh, I, I'm the graduate, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. I forgot so, about that movie. But in this, in this same vein, like I think by, because I, we see him out of focus. We see him go out of focus in that other room, and he kind of has like this mm-hmm. uh, kind of yeah, stretch thing he does and everything. And I, you notice the car that's really tailing her really close. I saw that too. Did you, what did you think of that? Like the whole. I time, just saw that. I was like, she. Well, she hits the brakes, this thing's going down. Or maybe that's a <coughs> metaphor for her being followed. Yeah. Mm. For I, the I, rest of her life. I, I think... I didn't notice they, it until the other night. I think mm. she totally is afraid all. that she knows that even though... Even though it, from just our point of view, everything seems like it worked out okay. She's got the money. Um, mm-hmm. I just think this she also end. knows in the back of her head that... Somebody maybe. like Mr. Walker... It would be very strange, don't you think, for an ATF agent... You know, who was like Nicolette, who was covering Jackie Brown for so long. All of a sudden, he gets his man, and then she goes to Madrid. Yeah, leaves the country. Leaves, How about this leaves she, her job. Maybe she's leaving also because she knows that she can't stick around stateside because she'd probably be followed by him. Spain have extradition? Oh, I don't. Yeah. Not positive, but it's it's also. I, I think she's feeling like she's on the run. I think I, that's. A, I think that's a, just to go back for some more. I think that's where he doesn't go with her. Because he's, like we are saying, he knows I'm a 19-year bail bondsman. People are going to be following you. And then she's trying to get him to go because he's a 19-year bail bondsman. He'll know how to get away from people, too. Right. And that he thinks that's why she's asking him to go, to use him again. Right. And then when she's in the car alone, she's like, 
I don't have what I need. And maybe that's when he's realizing too, where he's straight like, like I, I'm into her, but I don't know. Like you're saying, he's crazy getting duped again. Yeah. It's I mean, the sentimental part of me wants to believe that it's because of Max that she, you know, loved him and, and want him to come with her. But yeah, like there's, I think there's more to it. Strange, like we see his infatuation with her, we don't really see it reciprocated. Not really. Like, not like, yeah, not really. Not not to the extent that uh, it's um, it's one of the few good lines from The Happening. Uh, in every relationship, there's always. Uh, the person that's chasing and the person that's being chased, or there's, or I was thinking there's a re. Well, no, it's different. I would say the reacher and the settler from uh, the reacher and the settler from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the same basic concept, and yeah, definitely, I never quite see it from her. Even though, I mean, she goes out of her way to get his attention at yeah. the mall when he comes out of the movie theater. Mm-hmm. She didn't have to do that. No, no, she, she could have hidden, but she wanted to talk to him. Right. Yeah, you know, she trusted him. Hell, he offered to give... When he went back to get his gun, he offered to give her another gun. Right. Mm-hmm. Which you know, he also acknowledges is completely illegal. Yeah. It's completely illegal, but, you know, you got to protect yourself. Final thing about the money, he says in the movie, 500, that, like, um, half a million is still somebody's money somewhere. Because she says it's... It's no, somebody's money. Right. It's somebody's money. Yeah. So... Absolutely. Even though it was Ordell's or something like that, or... or I don't know. I, it comes from somewhere. Right. Mr. Right. Walker. Right. Right. He so. just knew that he's off the hook because they're not going to know that he helped her steal that money. I want to talk about something real quick because now I'm going to talk about Out of Sight just for a moment. We don't have to get into the whole movie, obviously. Which I've, I've never seen Out of Sight. Oh. It, it's, it's, it's... I know. It's, I've heard it's, it's amazing. What's funny is watch it. Now you definitely should watch it since you, this oh, is yeah. fresh. Since this is fresh, it makes it all the better because they're so different in the way they're executed. Two brilliant so directors. The waste, like that's a movie that relies heavily on the the chemistry between uh, Clooney and Lopez, which in like Forrester and, and Greer in this. Mm-hmm. But um, what's fascinating is um, the the Nicol- I, I, the Nicolette cameos in it. But it also is like, all right, so um, I guess it depends is on it just the what same type universe. Of, uh, oh, it's that? definitely it's got it's it. Same, it is yeah. the same well, universe yeah. without question. But it's not just the actors. there is actually a Samuel Jackson cameo in it, which is funny. He's, but, even, he's not Ordellis. <laughs> no, he part of me, not part of me, like, because I don't think it takes place before. It's got. I think it takes place after, because I think it dates itself afterwards, mm-hmm. after '95. Anyway, the thing that's neat though is it's two completely different executions of this type of world. You know, like Tarantino focuses on the dialogue aspect of it, and you know when he needs to uses the camera brilliantly in editing too, um, where it seems like oh my. I, Soderbergh, Soderbergh's style is very just, for the most part, visual. Like I don't think he's as much script happy about dialogue and stuff like that. So it makes it really fascinating. It's like because that came out like '99, like two years later. Right? Yeah, something like that. It's like they're right on top of each other. So it's pretty cool just to see how those movies are kind of back to back in a way with two females, really at the two strong female characters and everything. So um, talk about the fallout of this movie, what it did. Yeah, go ahead, break it down. All right, so Pulp Fiction grossed over, I believe, 100, 100 million, <coughs> which is impressive uh, for an R-rated film. Uh, Not so much back then. What, two and a half hours or something. Two and a half hour movie, yeah, mm-hmm. which means less showtime stuff like that. Jackie Brown grossed thirty three million domestic. This came out three years later. Uh, Jackie Brown, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I remember watching an interview with him a few years ago. His goal in terms of awards was simply to get Pam Greer, Samuel Jackson. 
and Robert Forster, all nominated for Oscars. And this is really strange how this worked out. Pam Greer and Samuel Jackson were nominated for Golden Globes for Best Actor and Best Best uh, Best Actress. Right. Then when the Oscars rolled around, neither one of them were nominated. But Robert Forster got an Oscar nomination as Max Cherry. Nobody yeah. nobody won yeah. any of this. Uh, Siskel and Ebert loved this movie. Two thumbs yeah, up. Four stars. Four from, stars from from Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the points he made about the movie are what's he's. It's one of the it's one of the times where he's absolutely right about why this movie uh, works so well. Um, Tarantino would not direct a movie for another four years. What what, what year did Kill Bill come out? Longer. It's two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Two thousand three. I'm sorry. Two thousand three. No, Fall yeah. of 03 Now is when uh, yeah. Part One. Kill came Bill. Out. I remember trailers for Kill Bill though a long time yes, before it they came were. out. Correct. Because it was. I remember just going. I I, I think it was going to see Brotherhood of the Wolf at this theater that had in the lobby had this huge screen of. Above the way out, that would just play trailers. So when you're leaving, you're seeing yeah. trailers, and you just stop because it's the full Kill Bill. It's not because uh, there's. I just remember seeing Pai May. You see some dude standing on a sword. I see Uma Thurman with a sword. I see Dar- David Carradine, and then I see Quentin Tarantino, and I just go. And this is yeah. before the internet. It's like you can't just go home and pull up your phone or whatever right. and go. What is this movie? I remember seeing that, and then it was a long time later, and then it's Kill Bill Part One. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. yeah, Kill Bill. Is almost a regression, I think, in terms of the kind of films that he made before Jackie Brown. Uh, Jackie Brown was very successful critically, but it wasn't successful uh, box office wise, and that's why. And he didn't get the award. He like, didn't get the award. He didn't get. He didn't. I don't even think he got. Uh, he got a Golden Globe nomination for screenplay, but that's it, yeah. or adapted screenplay. So I think he did this movie because he wanted to show that he could do a traditional style narrative structured movie uh, with very little violence like seriously it's the least violent of Tarantino's directed films and then when that didn't quite work out Michael Bowen is Buck from Kill Bill yep he did Kill Bill which was a completely over the top comic book violent movie as basically a fuck you uh, to the people who said that his movies were too violent and he finally got to do his kind of like his Japanese samurai kind of movie Mm -hmm. but I think he got he needed to get Jackie Brown out of his system to show that he could do it he wanted to do Bastards way before Kill Bill his idea for Bastards goes a long way do you remember the dream cast he had in mind Stallone and Eddie Murphy oh yeah he wanted like not just the actor he wanted like the big Biggest yes. box office. He wanted the Expendables. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what's oh, yeah. ironic. He wanted the that. real Expendables. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, Kill Bill. It's fine, but I, I think my opinion. I, I enjoy both of those. I think I'm like I don't. I don't necessarily like. If you ask me to take a couple Quentin Tarantino movies, I'll watch forever. I only get like two or three. I don't think I'll put part one or part two. In I it. wouldn't either. But I'll tell you. But this. I like them. If you put together that super cut. I, mm-hmm. I'm, my my attitude might change on it because seeing it all together might be it's so weird ordeal. the way I thought of those movies when they first came out I, yeah. I loved the first one and then the second one I thought was not a good movie and now that I've gotten older and I revisited them I think the second one I'm a much bigger fan is part two far superior because the first movie is just an action movie just non-stop the second movie is the real Tarantino movie mm-hmm. right? you know because that one takes its time it's yeah. long yeah, monologue after monologue, monologue after monologue. 
great lines of dialogue and just and just constant good stuff. And the first movie is essentially what I think is his for R-rated action movies. It's his most commercial film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard him on the Nerdist podcast? Tarantino. No. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, he That's was, another one of my playlists. He wants. He was saying that Kill in Bill his head, Kill Bill would be three movies, not counting. He said it would be one movie. The first two would be the one movie. He said then it would be a few years later. The daughter of Dar- of um. That would be the Jennifer last a. Fox. one. Oh, well, what would that be would the middle be the last one? one? The middle one. He was talking about having an animated movie that was kind of like anime, like like from the first. Well, yeah, one? like okay. like where it's. Some of the stuff from some of the backstory from the other members of the Dangerous Assassins, I can't remember what their names are all of a sudden, um, but some of them kind of woven in with what she's doing and dealing with what she had to do to get her daughter. And then the last one would be like 10 years later with the daughter of Vivica. So kind of a pre sequel? Yeah, it was like, like a pre sequel. Hmm? Like a side thing? It. That seems like that's just a lot of fluff. He's not going to do it. Tarantino has said he is, and I really hope it's not true. Two more? He's stopping at ten, which gives him two more movies. I'll say his run right now. Oh, it's amazing. I think it's it's arguably the greatest run maybe maybe ever of of directing. Um, The only person I put close to that is Fincher with The Game and Fight Club. It's a great three-picture run. Not a big Fight Club fan. Oh no, but I, I, but I see what you're me saying. Me neither. But you know, I'm I, saying, I see like, what you're saying. Yeah. Well, Fincher, I'll give you that. Fincher has never, even Alien Three. My problems with that. I don't think Fincher's ever made a bad movie, and I also don't think Tarantino's ever made a bad movie. And that's rare. I can't think of anyone else other than those two guys who have never really made a bad movie. What I'm Spielberg, Scorsese, they now. all have them. Right. Oh yeah. What I'm hoping for now, though, is he's gotten two westerns. Move it's on. time to leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's time to leave. I don't know but, what else he could do. But his reasoning for this, which I don't think it's true, but I understand kinda, is that most directors lose their teeth, metaphorically, once they hit a certain age. Well, I, I think that's bullshit. I do too. Because Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood yeah. Yeah. and that's it. His directing got better as he got older. Yeah, yeah. He well, let's go through that real quick because that's that really picked up Mystic River. Yes, he did Mystic River. And then he did Million Dollar Baby. Baby. And then after that, it gets interesting. Well, Blood Works. I don't think that's very good. But Gran Torino. Mm. Well, he he has some stutters in there. Because he does do, after Million Dollar Baby, is Flags, which Flags of Our Fathers, ah. but Letters from Iwo Jima was a good one there. It was a right. really solid one. Yeah. But then he did American Sniper. Well, remember also, though, Changeling. I love Changeling. But, no, you know, Changeling's awesome. But, you know, but for the most but part. It's, you're saying it's inconsistent. Yeah. It didn't. It didn't really fly. And then he did also the. Remember the one with the the flood movie, the flood. Um, the one. With Matt oh Damon. fuck! Hereafter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot about. It didn't really hit. Does Gran Torino? That really hits. Mm-hmm. Big most successful movies ever made. Not anymore. Well, not anymore. But the time, but at the time, to me it is right. <laughs> at the time it was just a monster of a movie because he was star. I guess the significance was he was starring in it. Right at eighty one. But then he did J Edgar, which was super Oscar bait. Yeah. Right, but yeah. it just. Kind of floundered. Does then the uh, 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 Jersey Boys? Fuck. And really, so even like Eastwood had a, a decent like it was like that out of those four initial pictures in that run, pretty good. Three out of four, it ain't bad. Mm-hmm. But Tarantino's point is incorrect for the most part. I, I, I think it is. I, I think 
you know, their Scorsese. He did The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, Fucking yeah. great. Even that Hugh, that Hugo, you know, I, I'm not visually. It's fun, but uh, he's trying something completely is, different. I'll give him that. He tried something different. I just don't. I, I don't buy when people say I'm going in or the only people I feel Kevin like Smith have, says it all the fucking time. Gene Hackman's the only one I, I he believed. He actually did it. Connery did it too. Yeah, to his credit, Connery said I'm done. Gene Wilder. Yeah, well, Gene Wilder. Last movie. Apparently, Spielberg tried to get him out of retirement to do um, the BFG. Right, and Gene Wilder still said no. Gene Wilder said, um, "I really think he was done when Gilda died." Yeah, I think he lost all heart to do it, which I can't blame him. Rick Moranis, same thing. Rick Rick Moranis, the only time he would work again would be. uh, He said he would do Spaceballs. Yep. If they they do a sequel, he'll do that. That's it. Which is a would Disney even let them do it? Dis- Lucasfilm under Disney is not Lucasfilm. We'll buy it from you. <laughs> we'll just own our own parody. <laughs> oh my god! I, I still love the idea that Spaceballs Two was going to be called Spaceballs Three: The Search for Spaceballs Two. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But talk about Tarantino as a whole. Um, not counting Hateful Eight because we haven't seen it. I might go see it tonight. I'm in the mood. Uh, where it and we'll do it? Huh? I'll sit through a three-hour movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I wish, and would, I know that's what's so sucky now. You and I haven't seen a movie since Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. Because of your family? What the What was fuck? the last movie we went to see together? It's been longer than that. I know what it is. You Gran, know, it's not Gran Torino. No, no, no. It's a little after that. Wrestler? Non, or, um, the, non-stop? Non stop. Oh. Drag Me to Hell? No, no, no. Oh. That was one of the no, best no, experiences the, ever. <laughs> what is the fucking. Uh, what's the train movie with Denzel and Chris Pine? That's nonstop. Unstoppable. 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 Oh, okay. We saw that together? Yep. Okay. Well, see, you disappeared forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it was like, because we were on a I was run. Luke Skywalker. Man. Yeah, we were like. No we one were, knows where I am. We were on a fucking run. I'm going to take a shit. What were we? We were like, uh, well, I mean, we Star Trek 2, eh, but we had seen Captain America 2, which to yeah. me is still fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, Guardians, and there was a, a couple others that we were just like, ah. But like this yeah. does, I really want to see a a, a movie now. And yeah, I'm ready. Well, that one, Tarantino. and and I because we have a gift card, Amanda and I do. And I told her I was like, you know, we used one for Star Wars. I was like, I was like, because when she named off a lot of movies, I was like, you know, those I, I do want to see those. Don't get me wrong, but that movie is shot in seventy millimeter. Like it's a movie theater movie. Mm-hmm. Well, the plus, biggest plus, reason why I'd want to go see that. You also have to go see it where they're shooting, where they're showing the seventy millimeter print. Mm-hmm. That's true. and that's the problem. And that's and it's a, it's like eleven minutes longer. I wish there was a theater around here showing it. There's not one. But is there? Like, but I've heard so well, many. IMAX. I've heard so many. Seventy millimeters. No, no, no. But but IMAX is digital. Like they're actual film projectors with seventy millimeter no film one. print. Yeah, there's nobody around. Are there any projectionists left working in a movie theater? Uh, what were you and Dave were like tech tweeting each other articles about the projections breaking? And yeah. stuff, right. Weren't you? They like, fucked yeah. up the movie like in L.A. during its premiere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just like, just oh like the my death God. nail for the time this will ever happen. Fuck. Just for get back on here is I I would still love when they announced when Disney bought Star Wars and they were like, hey, Star Wars movies all the time. As much as a not Star Wars fan I am. I would love a Quentin Tarantino bounty hunter movie set in the Star Wars universe, oh, so he can get his geez. he can get his science fiction movie out of the way. The only thing is, though, he's it, never done sci-fi. That's I would love to see him do sci-fi. It'd be cool. All right, let's talk about No Hateful Eight. 
because we haven't seen it. Where do you put Jackie Brown? All right, so it's, this is the this is probably the easiest director to rank because he doesn't have that many. <laughs> exactly. I could actually probably do it all right now, but yeah, where would you put Jackie? All right, so my first two have to be right off the bat. I'm always going to put Pulp Fiction at number one. Okay. Absolutely. Number two, Inglorious Bastards. I'm the same way, is, but flipped. Because they're just so. I mean, those are the those are perfect movies. Three. Um, I probably put Reservoir Dogs because it's there. There's something to that original Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I I would probably put Jackie Brown right behind there. And even though I love westerns, I love Django. I I, I haven't seen. I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen enough to where like you know I've got it you know in my system where True. you know like Jackie Brown has since we've hashed it out now I can really formulate a, a great opinion. So I'd put it probably in the uh, four. I put it four. For all right. Me. What would you rate it out of ten? For a Tarantino, this is all right. So <laughs> talk about Tarantino's movie here. It, it's tough because like I almost feel like a lot of our movies, it's 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 really going to be between six and nine. We're so I gave Paradise Alley like a. I know. I yeah. four or five. Or I shit on. I you never seen ever again. I shit all the over execution that. of it. I give it an eight. What about you? What are you talking like if ranking out of his Two movies things. first? Ranking out of his movies and then the rating. Well, um, B, I still haven't seen Death Proof. No? Because I didn't go see those in the theater. Grindhouse. And, and I went, I was like, all right, so I went to buy them. So I go and I buy it and I get home. I got this. This was before I had there. I had Blu-rays. This was when they first came out. I go to buy I'm it, and the fucking they were only available separately. See, I and waited, and that's what they put pissed it me off because I get home and I'm excited. I go, great. This is only one movie, and it kind of just put me angry at that whole thing. You can't just watch Death Proof on its own. I it has I to watch be, right, but it I has mean, to, but, but it is available in case you want. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get it, but I still haven't seen it, so that's at the bottom because I haven't seen it. The thing is, though, with me is, is Pulp Fiction's one, Reservoir Dogs is two. I just like Kill Bill. I, I, that's cool. So I mean, like that's three and four for yeah. me. Jackie Brown still. You count them as two different movies. I count them as two different movies. Okay. Because to me, they, they feel like they, two different they're movies. they're so tonally different. Um, yeah. But Jackie Brown is almost the bottom. Like uh, Inglorious Bastards to me has one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. And um, the projection but, scene. Well, the, or the bar scene. The bar scene. Oh, Michael, bar scene. Michael, oh, Michael Fassbender. That's, that was his. That's the scene. That's that his coming out party. And that. Yeah. Sh- I mean, but since then, I've sitting there going, "Wait, he is amazing." He, he takes up the screen in all the X Men movies that he's in, like you know, like just motherfucking Steve Jobs. Yeah, I have some seen Steve Jobs. Me neither, but I'm going to. But uh, like that. That scene is just incredible, and it's long as shit, but it's still incredible. Um, so that's where I put it. His. I'd probably put this sixth. On the movies, and it's stuff. Well, okay, it, I, I don't want like it, and it's not even to demean it because his movie, like mm-hmm. he has such an a, like I said, there's no bad movie. But I'm going by almost like what you said. I've only watched Jackie Brown that initial time when I bought it years ago, and then this morning, unlike Pulp Fiction, I watch Pulp Fiction once a year. Kill Bill's probably more than once a year. Reservoir Dogs I hadn't watched in a while, but I love it. Um, Glorious Bastards is just long. The Django's just kind of uh, it's good, but it's just. It's there. It still hasn't gotten to that level in me where I'm like, I gotta watch it again and again. Jackie Brown until I might watch it a couple more times, but I don't know if I'm gonna. Would you it. give it on a rank? On a ranking, this is to me is a solid seven. Okay, solid That's, seven. Yeah, good. I mean, it's just like I said, it's not to me. It's at least interesting story wise, but it's a good fucking movie. It's probably one. It's you know what? It's probably his best one to talk about. 
I've you know I've talked about all those other movies with other people, but it's no actually no one ever talks about this. But it's more fun. To, this one's fun to talk about because there are a lot of things that seeing it just seeing it myself, like I I, I wouldn't evaluate on all the different types of uh, possible uh, you know subplots or something that may be existing or origins that people may have. That's what's fun about Jackie Brown is really breaking it down with other people. So um, I'd say, uh, how did you do it? How do you well? My favorite is, is Bastards. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, almost, like, I never thought Pulp Fiction would be beat. Ever. It was uh, when I was first allowed to see R-rated movies. Dad went and rented Saving Private Ryan and, and Pulp Fiction. So that movie... That's a good night. That is a hell That's of a, a night. That's a long night. That's a long night. Jesus Christ. And, yeah, I, I loved Pulp Fiction. Never thought I'd see another one of his movies that I liked more than that. And Bastards really took it. And then I'd, I'd probably put Pulp... I, I absolutely would put Pulp. Uh, as number two, I'd probably put Jackie Brown at, I want to say, number three. Mm-hmm. I really would. I remember, I was telling Will this over the phone, when I first watched this movie, I was always like, oh, this is the Tarantino movie that no one really talks about. And it's just, that's oh, this black exploitation movie. Oh, I'll give it a shot. And I watched it and completely uh, exceeded my expectations because mm-hmm. it wasn't what I was expecting mm-hmm. at all. And I, and I like that he, not that he, he toned the violence down, but I think it it, it worked. Like I, I because when the violence, like I said, when it does happen, it's really impactful. Yeah. And it's shocking. You know, not like the I mean the scene when they when they shoot what the fuck's his face in the backseat of Pulp Fiction. Not like that wasn't just Marvin. Real. Marvin. Yeah, shot Marvin. Now when they shot yeah when they shot Marvin that was just holy shit. But like Bridget Fonda's death, Robert De Niro's death, like even Samuel L. Jackson's. It's out. It's it's out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, each death is almost anticlimactic. Every yeah. single one. There's no real build up to it. Um, I I don't know if it's the mo- the least interesting story wise. I think because the other stories that he does in his movies are so intense. Mm-hmm. Kill Bill is like to its core probably the most intense story that he ever did. Glorious Bastards has at least four or five stories going on all woven together to create just an awesome fucking movie. But this one, I just, I, I really, I really dig it. I really do, and I think it's because of the characters. The characters in this movie, to me, feel more real than any of the, that he ever created, and the the casting is stellar. That he would do this, like I can't. The movie that Pam Grier did before this, the only one I could think of is Above the Law or Escape from L.A. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus, <laughs> Escape from L.A. So. Um, I've always been a big fan of this movie, and I wish it got more attention. I think I bought the soundtrack last night. The soundtrack's fucking killer. Yeah. His, that's like, the one thing is generally his his. You can always count on that. Are not fantastic. so much in his period films, but in in his modern films with L.A. Low Lives because it's kind of a trilogy mm-hmm. with Reservoir, this, and Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and then he just kind of leaves this behind and goes into just a whole other genre. Of now I love Django. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that movie, but I've only seen it twice. It's not really... Well, I remember coming out of the theater just ecstatic, but I remember thinking, it's not as good as Bastards was. You know, like, I really... like. I always love the last line in Bastards, which is uh, really meta and really just kind of stroking his own cock, but I think this may be my masterpiece. I think it is. Mm. I, think it's, I think it is Tarantino's masterpiece. And Django's great... But there's just something about this movie that clicks with me, and it's and a lot of it has to do with Robert Forrester. Mm-hmm. Just a great performance. Uh, great. So on a one to ten, uh, it's an easy eight for me. 
Okay. Very easily. No, the number three Tarantino movie for me. Cool. What's cool is we like to make you like to make the joke about uh, Darth Maul killing Liam Neeson and people being incorrect, saying he's the only person killed on screen. So Sam Jackson is also another person that hasn't been killed on screen by many people. So Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, Anakin Skywalker. Well, actually, the Emperor. Yeah, if em- we're being fair. True, uh, <laughs> but he's been killed by a genetically enhanced shark, a dinosaur, <laughs> off screen. That's right. Batman because he just got shot by Michael Keaton in this movie. Dracula because he was shot by Gary Oldman in True Romance, and the Emperor, a Sith Lord. Those are pretty badass people. It's like who who were we joking that's only been killed by like the Predator? Like it's like didn't Jamie Foxx like kill everybody in oh, no, Django? I can't forget about Django. Yeah, that's okay. one of the things that the, and he gets killed in Kill Bill. He's the piano, but player. it's off screen. Like the guess just goes count with off the dinosaur. Samuel Jackson. Yeah, they don't oh, well, they don't show it. Yeah, Samuel Jackson's performance in Django is extremely underrated. Ooh, oh man, yeah. the thing that I love that I don't hear a lot of people talk about about that movie that I love is that uh, Calvin Candy, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's the bad guy. Not to me. To me, the main bad guy is really Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, because he's one of them Uncle Tom motherfuckers, huh? It's just, he kind of runs it. He kind of runs it. He's very manipulative in that movie. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a great performance. And it was sadly, like, wasn't recognized. Well, that's what I'm hoping happens here, because for the early word of Hateful Eight. You get Sam Jackson and Kurt Russell in the same fucking movie. (laughs) I know. Like, that (laughs) alone. Like, they get a bullet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not an arrest. <laughs> so to stay in kind of the same years I, we talked about, and I think I think it'd be fun to do this for our next movies for guys who like movies. Twister, do Twister. That's it. It's twenty years this year now. I want to do Twister. It'd be so much fun to hit that up because um, I saw bits of it the other night, and I was like, effects wise, oh, it holds still holds up. up. But it'll be fun to Did kind you of look up the, the box office numbers for Twister. No, but it's got to be amazing. It was. Huge. Yeah, I did not realize how big that movie was. Four hundred and fifty million dollars, over two hundred in the U.S. alone. Yeah, you had that summer you had that in Independence Day. I mean, that is two. One year of that. Do you remember? Uh, God, one of the best from the makers of bullshit. Oh yeah, from the makers of Speed, Speed and and Jurassic Park. I'm like, holy shit balls! <laughs> what is this? A movie about the weather. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Twister, the uh, the dark side of nature. <laughs> My favorite MPAA rating ever. What? How I? Because I wasn't allowed to see PG 13s when that hit video. Whoa! So. I got mom to, to buy it for me because it said on the back, rated PG-13 for intense depictions of very bad weather. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, well, by the same logic, shouldn't Wizard of Oz be PG-13? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's murder in Wizard of Oz. I'm all, I'm all for doing Twister. Yeah, that'll awesome. be fun. That'll be the next movies for guys who like movies. Um, be fun to revisit that. So uh, for the main podcast, the New Blood Rising podcast, the wrestling portion, Jeez, next episode is going to be... WrestleMania. WrestleMania 17. We're going to have to really go into workout shape for that one. And then the next movies for guys like movies following that will be Twister. So that'll be coming up. The podcast is on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're also on Facebook at New Blood Rising Podcast. I'm at William Rinkin 83. I'm at the Jason Kiesler. I'm at CM underscore Stabs. We'll see you guys at the Astrodome. Houston, we have a problem. It's WrestleMania 17. I'm not saying what I did was all right. Trying to find
gonna break out of the ghetto with a day-to-day fight. Being down so long, yet nothing crossed my mind. But I knew there was a better way of life, and I was just trying to find. You don't know what you do till you put under pressure. Cross 110th Street is a hell of a tester. Yeah. 